0: suspense
1: and the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills the master of mystery
0: and adventure William N. Robeson you're about to experience one of the most terrifying half-hours in your entire life three skeleton key starring Vincent Price oh yes I realize superlatives tend to lose their significance by overuse How many times have you been promised that a story would be the funniest, or the most dramatic, or the most exciting, only to find that it failed to live up to its advertising? The story you are about to hear is an exception. It is unconditionally guaranteed to chill your blood, unless you happen to love rats. We begin now with Mr. Vincent Price in Three Skeleton Key, a play well calculated to keep you in... Suspense.
1: have we no we just we sat here just perpetual yeah we just turned off
0: hmm. <laughs> that, that's why when we get into the old get into some of those kind of like metaphysical things when you're not listening to us are we really here do we, we do we exist outside of this podcast
1: are we in your head or are you in <laughs> our heads or um are we just in your uh phone or your cassette tape player or your in the, in the ipod re-
0: in the realm of of audio, yeah, are we actually real people?
1: Are we real people? Or are we you're just not computers to us? Do we exist? Do we have a life? Do we have you know what I'm gonna do? Since it's it's that late and we crack one open. Yeah, you know it's so late and and you know those little soldiers call you in the in the fridge and I'm gonna crack one more open just for the sake of just we've to f- polish off that case. Okay,
0: <laughs> no, it's funny. You know, it's funny. I saw. I don't know. If it was on. Twitter. It was a real week kind of
1: open. Didn't really sound very. <laughs> <laughs> I was on Twitter someplace.
0: Mm. I think somebody has a podcast. They're trying to do something called Beer Movie, and it's funny because I feel like for me anyway, the first incarnation of something like this was a thing I did with Dave Hastings again. Props, who did the Silver Bullet cast with me last uh, Halloween time, uh, and who gets mentioned always talked about last week, especially in the We'll be loving him
1: always.
0: Him and his brother. We used to do this thing called Beer Movie which was like totally like haphazard, like crappy VHS. Yeah. And we would, uh, we would sit down, we'd introduce a movie that we were going to watch a movie. I mean, it's actually not unlike this. And then the beer movie theme is is uh, the theme to, is the little piece of music that plays at the beginning of every one of our podcasts.
1: That's the first time I think we're breaking news here. We're coming in with a news alert that people didn't know. That's what it's called. It's called the
0: beer movie. theme. (laughs) That's the theme to the, to beer movie. Um, and it was we would int- we'd, we'd get, we would introduce a movie, then there would be like a little thing, and then we would uh watch the movie. We'd turn off the camera, we'd watch the movie, then we'd turn the camera back on. Now inebriated, <laughs> especially with those guys. You know what you need there is a nice dissolve. <laughs> A slow Now it's after the movie, you know, especially them. I mean, me yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. tipsy. Those guys really drunk, and yeah. then we would try to have a discussion about the movie, sitting all sitting on a couch together, <laughs> in line. <laughs> there's like one we did one where it was their air conditioner wasn't working. We did like Nerds and Parody Revenge of the Nerds two Nerds. It was so fucking hot that we might even have like our shirts. On. <laughs> 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 and when you guys would just talk about the movie afterward, like... Yeah, uh, we'd have, like, a drunken discussion about the movie.
1: We'd be like, uh, uh, it's all very... Because you're so, uh...
0: But somebody took the name Beer Movie. I mean, I don't think they stole it, but... Uh, I think
1: they stole it. They they found out about it, and they got really upset at you, and they...
0: But yes, this our theme song is actually the Beer Movie theme song. Yeah, we don't like that. Which, uh, Steve... Hastings, uh, who wrote it and performed it graciously, donated
1: his time and yeah. We finally because we were looking for something. You're like, I have this thing, and I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Why, why not use it? that's us yeah. Let's so that's not, not like stock
0: music that we got off of jingle puns. No, think that no. was that was written for another show that I uh, was a part of. Yeah, and because that show didn't exist, I was like, you know, it's such a it's such a great little piece of music. Yeah, I think that's, it. That's, uh, you know, beer movie was very much. Uh, in this vein, a nostalgic f- friend sitting around me man- watching movies. And I said, you know, it, 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 f- still, it feels very much like Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. So let me ask Steve if we can use it. And he uh, he let us. He said, no. It's got to it be <laughs> pure. <laughs> no. Give me $50 on, uh, every episode. time you use it. <laughs> every time. Uh,
1: every, every time somebody listens. <laughs> every play. Yeah, I yeah. get
0: .8 cents. Yeah. So
1: I want it in the intro and the outro and every time. Um well, we're back again. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We're in week two of our week
0: two of
1: our October uh, Horror Extravaganza. October
0: Horror <laughs> Extravaganza. Oh, there's
1: that um <laughs> <laughs> the double, that effect button on there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and last week we did in the mouth. In the mouth of madness. madness. This is madness. It's a madhouse. Madhouse. Starring Chuck Askin. <laughs> It's a mad It's mad house, and then uh, we're back this week with a um, we're going way down the alley
0: way down the alley <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it'd be funny if the show be we, 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 <laughs> we all wave down the alley <laughs> we call the show way down the, and we go with like a more of like a morning zoo, you know, like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Way down the alley today, we're gonna go look at uh. We went with like this uh, elephants. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, like the morning, you know, like I think it kind of started with like Stern, and then people started doing like this wacky morning wake up, you know, wacky morning radio show. Oh, like DJs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, you know, for like, like a part, it would just be a very different energy. Like blasting you out right now, <laughs> it's eighty five. We're like, right now, you? we're from Fat night i Sleepovers, coming at you. It's uh, today, we're doing a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Little did you know that we were there five. Coming years. to you from Hammer Studios, we have night. 1959's The Mummy, starring Christopher Lee, <laughs> Peter Cushing, and Yvonne Rediger,
1: <laughs> Rediger I, have her, I have her name somewhere, for now, for no. for it's now. very French
0: looking, <laughs> yes
1: it is, Fernau, uh, uh, Furno no,
0: uh,
1: Yvonne Fernau. No. yes, we're going to have to take two of that, <laughs> but welcome back to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, um, I'm
0: I'm Diambaya,
1: I'm <laughs> <laughs> Diambaya, uh that's jay blake and i'm jay Blake and i'm dion baya dion baya or I as all my car. uh yeah all my uh substitute teachers used to call me dion baya uh baya as in you want to go buy a car yeah that's my pronouncer that's how i learned how to say Baya. that's my pronouncer as Al will sharpen said dion all right okay we are here back we're week two we're going way down the alley we're bringing back we're doing a, a classic last year we did a um we did a classic. We did a classic. Uh, we did Mad Love. Now it wasn't a Universal movie. It was Mad
0: well, Love. Even though most of our discussion was about Universal horror.
1: Yeah, but it was of the era. It was of the era, and it was of uh, Peter Lorre, who I, I now I don't even think was he in a Universal horror movie. I don't think so, at the time. Uh, but our but it, I remember very much of that. We were over your house. That was fun. We did the, we did sleep over your place mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, we talked about Peter Laurie. We talked about you know World War One and all that. All, uh, European, all the funness. You know, all, the, all, the, all the funness of between World War One or Euro- <laughs> World War Two and all that was going on in Europe at the time. And then that was so. It, it was a that was the farthest. We've already, we've, we'd
0: that was the furthest down the alley we'd, are, we'd, 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 we'd ever gone. gone.
1: It was like circa 1932, 31,
0: I think. I mean, it, it and not say it is, but it, it may, may be, the be the it may be the furthest down yeah. the alley we ever can go. This
1: <laughs> week we're doing um, the mummy hammer, not ver, not hammer quite as far, like. not no. that alley, not that far. We're going to 1959. Did we say this? 1959. Yeah. And uh, this maybe a year the before, second, before farthest town. That this is the second earliest so far we've done.
0: This is probably yeah the second oldest movie. Yeah, because yeah. Mad Love being the you first. Know, last one? time last year with our Mad Love cast, yeah, we had a little discussion about you know what's that what's that film that is the pinnacle, the turning point of, you know, what we would consider maybe old classic horror to modern horror. Oh yes, yes, and, I uh, posed that to, to you. And yeah. uh, that was nineteen sixty. Yeah, was my answer. Was Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. So this is just a year before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That was amazing. laughs> very
1: good people. We're <laughs> a little punch drug. <laughs> it's very late. And I, you heard I cracked up a beer open. I cracked a beer uh, open. Um, but
0: that was obviously Alfred Hitchcock, a British filmmaker. Game making, changer. Making yeah. a movie here in America. And this is... Um, a British film yes. that we're discussing today. Made by a very British film studio. Yeah, Hammer. and Yeah, and it's
1: starring a very bunch of...
0: A, v- br- a bunch of very British actors. Yeah, very, <laughs> a very big
1: troop of British actors, and they they found a big success niche with this studio,
0: with this series of films, with these actors, with this style, with this... I wonder, you know, obviously there's... Uh, I wouldn't even say contemporary horror fans, but... I mean, obviously, um, you know, not to exclude anybody, but I'd what say, <laughs> on the whole, yeah, I would not imagine that har- that Hammer films are as revered. Well, revered respected. or even known about as so much um, because people to, people to are more modern it. audiences. I mean, I'll be honest with you; the, it was never. You're you're certainly much more knowledgeable about Hammer the the uh, Hammer films in terms of the films themselves, than I am. I never really did a, a hammer phase where I, like I decided to, you know, mara- I Im- marathon them. I and, and really explore. Like them,
1: 3 you know? years ago I imposed myself a hammer marathon. I watched them all like around not at all. There's, there's so yeah. many to watch, but yeah. we want There's like there's decades tons. Worth yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we watched But you you know, you hit the highlights, highlights I'm sure, yeah. yeah. And we did and there's I, a lot of great highlights and and the funny thing is, you know, you think about the context, I was never a hammer fan. I was always a universal fan and I was always, you know, like a a fifties fan and the sixties horror and just a regular horror. Never per se a Hammer fan, and I always kinda I don't know if I look down on Hammer, but I never like, you know, you look at Hammer's, you know, Curse of Frankenstein. I thought that Frankenstein just looked stupid. Yeah, you know. I mean
0: I I personally have a little spot in my heart for that movie because um I watched that one on like afternoon television. Wow. When I was little one time and it was well like, th-
1: that's the kind of you it show up so like there's on there's a PBS li- or anything yeah AME so there's like know? a
0: little bit i have a little bit of nostalgia for it and that it was one. color but it was like a shitty
1: color cuz it didn't age well
0: well yeah well you know i'm sure the prints and stuff you know yeah. i'm sure now it looks better oh yeah yeah i'm sure that really it has since it came out but they but, were like
1: yellow and faded Yeah. You know?
0: but you know and then becoming a little bit of a horror aficionado and then becoming someone that and then becoming a teacher of the history of horror at uh, SUNY Purchase, where he went to school, which I did for three semesters, you know, I researched the various years and decades of horror and stuff, and uh, gained a little more of appreciation, and specifically, Curse of Frankenstein, because. Uh, which I'm sure, when we get into when we set the table, as Dion likes to say, in terms of uh <laughs> getting, me. getting a little history of Hammer, it's a very significant Curse of Frankenstein is very significant. So having been a movie that I had a little certain amount of nostalgia for, and then a movie that uh, is really why we have the Mummy and so many other great Hammer films, uh, and then of course you know a person that gets talked up talked a lot about on this show is joe bob briggs yeah yeah and he wrote a a a wonderful book called profoundly disturbing and where he goes through each chapter he talks about a different movie that was a bit of a cult classic that maybe was not is not as respected uh as say more mainstream films but had a very significant cultural uh a profoundly a profound uh reaction on 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 culture and one of the films that he talks about is curse of frankenstein um it certainly was a game changer back then curse of frankenstein for a lot of
1: reasons and it um it did usher in a whole new era and well, yeah i, think I mean
0: without you know without the success of that movie
1: you probably wouldn't have the, the you'd have hammer but you wouldn't have hammer as well, we the, know it know, now. that's
0: arguable too because you know? there's the you know we'll be we can set the table with Hammer before we get to the, uh, you know, the significance of Curse of Frankenstein then leading into I'd The Mummy. S- uh,
1: so I had I, grown up watching a steady stream of the older uh, horror, certainly Vincent Price, but then a lot of the old Universal movies. And then... Uh, yeah,
0: you were always much more a fan of, like, the horror the classic horror actor than i was. Yeah. Like you're a much bigger fan of Vincent Price than i am. Yeah. Um you i feel like you're probably a much bigger fan of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee than i am. <laughs> you know like yeah. like to me it was never I, I don't dislike them. It's just like it was, you know, they were never Yeah, i never thought, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, they of obviously they were figures and yeah. and especially Vincent Price yeah. was uh, you know, had had a or even Cushing for Had Star pushed Wars. past you know hard become a cultural pop cultural figure yeah. which now people don't even know who he is. Yeah and yeah. and of course you know Peter Cushing and Yeah and then Christopher like Lee said, later in years cuz his but, longevity. Um Yeah like I, I was never really gravitated it was not until I think we I got to college where I started to gravitate towards certain actors like uh, you know character actors like Peter Lorre and, and stuff like that where I started to develop fondness for uh Actors of a, you know, earlier than a certain generation, you know, obviously getting to school and being into, you know, we've discussed many times Oscar in the 90s, that independent film boom that also kind of harkened back to uh, the gritty 70s cinema, you know, like like I was into De Niro and Pacino and then of course the Keitel and like, like I was a fan of actors in that sense. But, and as much as I, I grew up on older movies and, and, you know, Bogart and Cary Grant and stuff um, in terms of genre, you know, quote unquote genre films. I mean, you could argue the gangster films and stuff, uh, but in terms of horror, like it was never really uh, like I never really gravitated towards the stars. You yeah. know, those, those, uh, the actors that became kind of the figureheads um, even, uh, even though I, I grew up and, and loved you know uh Phantom of the Opera and some Lee of those senior uni- and the yeah launching senior yeah. and then and then some of the universal movies it was Frankenstein's monster growing up that I was into it wasn't until later that I developed an appreciation for Boris Karloff kind yeah. of thing um so in that sense like I feel like you were definitely the kind you know you had an appreciation you have an appreciation for uh the actors of vincent price peter cushing christopher like that generation of horror actors uh much more than i ever um kind of delved into and and appreciated. so this is very much uh, a movie that is you know good night everybody (laughs) your your thing yeah yeah of course so it's it's fun to you know last week i think we did a movie that you know, John Carpenter, uh, not to say, obviously, you're, you're a fan of John Carpenter's movies, Uh, you know, yeah. not even, I wouldn't even say less than I am, but John Carpenter has a very, I have a very different relationship with John Carpenter's movies yeah. than you do. And so... You've hung out with him. <laughs> and so it's fun... Uh, to do these. To do this, because this is very much, you yeah. have a very different relationship to these movies than I do. <laughs> I, I,
1: I never really uh, was any big of a fan of the Hammer movies, and then um, two movies got me into Hammer, uh, first one being a very, very um, not very well-known uh, horror movie. Um, it borders horror, and it was almost one I was going to suggest instead of doing this movie, and it came out also in 1957, I think right after Curse of Frankenstein, but I don't know why it's – Hammer's put out so many movies. You'll have Curse of Frankenstein or you'll have, like, uh, Dracula. I forget what the, what Dracula's name is actually called, like, uh, uh, The Blood of Dracula or something, Yeah. Um, the first one. Or maybe Dracula's Curse. I forget what that. I forget what the first yeah, Dracula was yeah. called. Well, it's tough to because Curse they, of
0: France because they can't. It, at, the, at that time, they couldn't. They
1: couldn't call it just you know because there was
0: Universal was was a, was a was a was a strong arm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, a lot. They did a lot of other lesser movies on the side, which were kind of horror movies or psychological horror that aren't really counted in that canon. And, and that one's called The Abominable Snowman with yeah. with Peter Cushing, and the uh idea of the abominable slow snowman is a character that for some reason i guess universal never really did that's like a monster that escaped them yeah and uh hammer did it and it and it it's amazing like it's a it's a great movie it's one of my favorite horror movies it's my one of my favorite of the abominable slow you know <laughs> the series the, yeah the yetis you know the, it's a uh, uh, sub it, you know it's a great movie so that came out 57 uh, which predates this and even Dracula. And um, then this movie got me into it. So then I'd never seen really any of the other ones. I'd seen maybe Curse of Frankenstein and then the 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 the, the, uh, the, the Dracula movie that we for some reason can't think of the name of. Yeah, what and, is and that? Then, um, Blood of
0: Dracula maybe? It could be the Blood of
1: Dracula, the first one. And I went back and I, we bought a box set and I went back and watched them in the order because then it's very hard to keep them all in some sort of semblance of order as well as watch the ones that aren't part of these big box sets like the man who will cheat death or uh all these other ones that are like also hammer movies but aren't caught in that canon and they hold up surprisingly well could i mean rides
0: of dracula be the first it one? could be
1: yeah which year is that 58 that's uh that's 60 no then the first there's one is some before yeah there's one. one the second god damn it julie yeah <laughs> sorry that we shouldn't do that make fun of that but so uh you go watch these, well, and what w- they do
0: have a 1958 Dracula, just plain old. Dracula. Yeah, maybe then that's what it, Dracula, because they we're overthinking it. Because Curse, well, you, well, you're right in that Curse of Frankenstein was named Curse of Frankenstein because of not infringing
1: on son of on
0: Dracula. on uh or son of Frankenstein on you know on the Frankenstein Universal films. And that's why they yeah. had to go dr- so drastically different with Christopher so Lee's makeup because they couldn't infringe on the copyright that Universal had.
1: Christopher Lee goes and does like this that one. I think it's that Dracula movie. And then he doesn't show up in a Dracula for quite a while. He's not in them. And then he comes out in the late sixties and does a Dracula. But you go watch these series and movies in the order, and they're really surprisingly good and they hold up. They're not just like like genre movies. They're not just like uh installments. They're actually great, you know, great films on their own. So that was very exciting to think that like to to go explore the canon of Hammer and realize that not only are they just, you know, genre horror movies but they're actually really good installments of all these beloved monsters that you like yeah and uh hammer was an english company in the um we got established in the 30s and then it kind of didn't really have much of a career it was like uh there was a, b- a, a a company called eclipse pictures exclusive pictures and they were putting stuff out uh under the hammer name and then in the 50s hammer what do they do do, do you do you have a uh a, a part of your teaching credentials
0: well uh yeah it was uh Hammer was kind of started as a partnership, uh, but the main force was this guy named Enrique Carr- Carreras, and he—he uh, he was Spanish-born, uh, but in England he started to open movie theaters, and he actually in- opened what people consider maybe the first multiplex, and that it was a, a large theater that had two screens. Yeah. Um, seated like 2,000 people or so. That's and unheard of at the time. And he played two different movies on those screens. So you could go see w- this movie or that movie in the same location, which yeah. you know, nowadays you go see f- there's 15 movies playing, 20 movies, whatever. Yeah. Back then that was... You had a picture th- house. You had one movie <laughs> you had to go
1: see. This is playing, or if you're lucky you have a double feature, you'd go to the drive and you'd have to wait to sit through a movie to see the w- maybe the next movie you want to see.
0: Um, And uh, that was called Blue Halls, I think. And yeah. then in the... And then in the late twenties, like you said, he he formed Exclusive Films, um, and that was mostly a bit of a distribution company for British films. Because that's you know you get into the that era that kind of thing. It's like you have a studio that makes their own movies, and then you also have these companies that uh, distribute films that other people are making. Um, Which
1: is, I think, nowadays you get a lot of that. Yeah. Or a lot of these, you know, you make a movie now, and then you have a Warner Brothers. They're basically just distributors. Well, like for
0: instance, to- Trauma is a perfect example of a, they make. Like a Toxic Avenger movie, but then they distribute, you know you know cannibal the musical yeah. or, you know what? You know, 20 other movies that year but they might make one movie themselves every two years or yeah. whatever and then this is
1: uh, th- coming out of the studio system where back in the old days a lot of the studios were just grinding out it was a factory they'd make their own movie and then they would distribute it themselves and there was a gluttony on the market of they own theater so that was why it was hard for someone to independently be able to make a movie and distribute it because you couldn't get it into a theater because all the big um movie uh you know uh companies like warner brothers universal or mgm owned
0: the yeah theaters. it was like you had like the paramount theater yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know like so they would show couldn't, whatever you, you the know, Paramount you, movie you can was. go
1: make a movie but then you wouldn't be able to even like you have a guy like james cagney you, you he'd make a big movie an independent movie but then where is he going to show it because you can't you know no, no theaters will take it because yeah. you need to have a big studio uh wanting to take it so
0: so uh enrique carrera's um, he gets into the film business uh, uh, through that route, more through distribution and whatnot. And then at the same time, there's a vaudeville act called Hammer and Smith, um, which began appearing in England. And William Hines, who was the hammer of the group, using the name Hammer in, in, the, in, in this partnership, uh, this vaudeville group, he meets Carreras and they formed a partnership of their own in 1932. Mm. And shortly after that, they decided that they should be a separate company that produced films for exclusive distribution and they called that company hammer so they they formed they formed their own company to make movies and then they would distribute those movies through enrique uh, carreras's company uh exclusive distribution uh exclusive pictures or whatever the the company was the full title of the company was yeah. and then for the next two decades after that the 30s and the 40s um, they made many B movies and b- yeah. and shorts and they were mostly c- crime
1: movies yeah they're staying to like uh, material they know will get it like a return so they're not really venturing out too much yeah. but they're not Horror. There've been certain genres, crime, or maybe dra- drama, or historical fiction, or or not historical, f- historical kind of movies that they know that are comfortable, that maybe have an inherent audience already, like a crime movie, and they yeah. know that they'll be able to make a return on it.
0: Now, I think the other thing that's really important at this time, and it's hard for I think hard for us, our generation, and especially generations younger than us, to imagine that uh, into the '40s, into the '50s. I mean, TV starts to. De, is yeah. developed but <coughs> what's going on at, for real home entertainment at the time is this is the radio serials yeah radio shows and radio serials and so that was a big thing uh in England was these bbc radio serials yeah and what uh the brilliance of hammer was that they would then Obtain the rights yeah. to some of these serials, so that they could do motion picture versions of an already established property, you know, like Donovan's
1: Brain or something. They would get they would get a show that was already well renowned, and the audience people had listened to it on radio, loved it, and then they're gonna then maybe translate it into cinema. You know,
0: we, you, you know? and I love the old the old time radio shows where we have uh, Theater of the m- Mind. Yeah, you know, reader, but radio versions of classic films that we love where you get like the star you get like Katherine Hepburn Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant doing Philadelphia story. Yeah, because that you was know, the You know, they way do like they, a 40-minute version. Yeah,
1: of they do like a truncated version because back then that was the, you know, it's in the theaters, but then since you have no television, you can listen to it on the radio. Yeah. Or you it's, like you're gonna, a, it's like having a home video before home video. Yeah, and sometimes you get a different, you'd have like the Multis Falcon instead of Henry Bogart, you'd yeah. have Edward G. Robinson stepping in the role tonight to be Sam Spade. So it's like amazing. Yeah, you're not
0: always like, there's a great, like one of my favorite Hitchcock films is Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah. And there's a great radio play version of Shadow of Doubt, but it's Cary Grant, who's one of my favorite actors, playing the Joseph Cotton role. And it's great. And that's, so you get to see, like, you know, it's, it's, you're right, it's that theater of the mind of, like, imagining, oh, like, Cary Grant, that role would have been, It's you amazing. Know? you get to hear, like, a little, you get or to like, get Or sometimes
1: they'll do different productions of it, so you'll have him do Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House with Cary Grant, yeah. and then it'll be with the woman who stars with him in the movie that's out at the cinemas right now. And then a year later, they'll do it again with Carrie Grant but then it'll be another lady like Irene Dunn so it's it's great to have somebody else step
0: into the role one of the classics you know just a tiny little uh, sidebar here is um, you know there's a great silent Hitchcock movie called The Lodger yes which is you know uh, considered by many to be maybe his best of the silent era because it's very uh, innovative uh, you know the way he uses the camera stuff and so being a silent movie it's completely visual yes you know, it's like it's a completely visual way of storytelling. Now, there is a Hitchcock-directed radio show. It's the first uh, suspense ever done. They wanted to do this,
1: the show that uh, you and I both have a huge suspense. affinity for. And I am obsessed with this show, Suspense. I love it to death. Listen to it, like, almost all the time. Uh, the first show they did was they got Hitchcock to come on, and he directed a radio play version
0: of The Lodger. So you have... The film is yeah. a silent movie, completely visual way of storytelling, the the story of yeah, pre-sound. And then you have a radio show directed by Hitchcock telling, telling the same exact story in a completely audio way yeah, of storytelling. Completely,
1: completely different form of, it's form, kind of a form. it's
0: It's kind of, I don't know, it's it, amazing to it's think brilliant. about it in those terms. And then terms.
1: that show, Suspense, has some of the greatest stuff ever told because if you could sit back and just think of how you're listening to us right now it's such a forgotten genre, the radio genre, just the, the, like we said, the theater of the mind. Just uh, And we just talked about this recently because we were talking about it with something where like uh, maybe with... I forget what thing it was, but you know the problem. It's at, at, you just think about. You can close your eyes and you can just envision so much if you're listening to like one of these things. And you might think it's hokey, but some of these are just so scary. Uh, they're so atmospheric. And then what ends up happening is when you get into the 50s, when they start doing TV, they try to adapt these for television. And a lot of times they can't because it's. They realized it was easier sometimes to just have the people. You know, the audience thinking it as opposed to now, like, say, for yeah. especially comedy, you, then you have to develop sight gags, whatever you're doing. Yeah, so it's yeah. a lot sometimes harder to adopt it and then show the joke as opposed to infer the joke. But it, uh, all this stuff is public domain. Go check it out. Suspense, uh, Inner Sanctum, Escape, a lot of these great. And, and all these famous actors you know and love from the era, that was the shtick was they would get uh, top billing actors like the hottest actors of the day every week to guest star. And they would be in these great adventures, and they're and they're done by some of like you know Orson Welles directs and stars. We said Hitchcock. We have all these. Very oh, yeah. famous. yeah, I
0: mean, probably one of the most famous
1: radio. War of the Worlds. War of the, yeah, the yeah. World, But Which that was, was like was a I one-off got. for yeah. his Mercury Theater. But he had a very short-lived thing with Mercury F- Theater. But you get Vincent Price. You get all these people who were very Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart. You get everybody who was popular with the day would guest. That would be like part of the thing. They'd go guest on radio and do, you know. And there's all kinds of genre. If horror isn't your yeah. thing, you can get Western. You can get, you know, mystery. You can get proceed, uh, the procedural. The Shadow knows. The Shadow. You have Superman. You have all these really great. Shows b- with radio, and then so you get a lot of these when TV comes up in the 50s. They start adapting some of these. You have thriller theater, you have suspense yeah. theater, you have some of these as movies. Uh, they did a series of uh, Inner Sanctum movies where um, Lon Chaney Jr. stars in them. So you have here in the 50s what Hammer starts doing is Hammer takes some of these, they, the they, BBC they, did.
0: they get some of these bbc the properties so and it's like it's them. like uh, you know it's not unlike today with the marvel and the dc you know you take a comic book and you make a movie out of it. you're taking like a tried and true yeah uh, they have a property a, an
1: inherent fan base and you're bringing it to the screen and people love this and it's like uh, i said it's the, these still blake and i still listen to these things because they still hold up they're frightening they're funny they're they're suspenseful uh, hence the name suspense
0: and one of the properties that hammer uh Made a film version of was the Quatermass experiment, and uh, which we alluded to last week, which we talked a little bit about because it's you know Carpenter has always been talked about the Quatermass films as being a big influence on him and the music that uh, James Bernard, who did didn't do the music for this for the film that we're discussing tonight but did a lot of the great the Curse of Frankenstein and uh, the Dracula movies and stuff um, was a big influence on him musically and whatnot so we, we brought up crater mass and last that week.
1: i think is the first they credit that to be the first hammer horror film the cra- the, the Quator mass well Experiment. yeah
0: i mean even though it's it's kind of more of a you know it, it may be a little more sci-fi but it's 1955 and it was really successful and because of that it encouraged them to seek out more horror properties yeah. and uh but even though it was kind of successful, Hammer was. That's why I said, like, you know, when you were like, "Well, if they didn't do this, they might still be around doing other kinds of things." The wh- Hammer was kind before Quatermass. They, Hammer was, you know, it was iffy whether it. it was yeah, going to yeah. succeed. It was
1: like a Republic Pictures, it and was even though, like doing low, lower budget things.
0: Yeah, and even though Quatermass was, uh, you know, considered a, a success it still was iffy as to whether it would actually carry on as it's kind of its own studio so but um, that was a
1: stroke of brilliance, like they were saying they were securing the, the rights to these radios things and they do radio adapt- adaptations and stuff like that and it was getting them money in the bank and then a little more gravitas and then do this Quator mass experiment which was they're like maybe
0: we should kind of uh, go down the sadly a little yeah, bit more people uh, seem to be into
1: it and uh at the time, you had Universal in the 30s. There well, yeah, was a well, that's the hit. other thing
0: is you really got to think about, you know, it's hard to put in perspective what horror was like in the 50s when they decided to yeah. do this.
1: Um, in the 30s, th- there was a big hit with horror going from silent to uh, talky pictures, and then you had a big mass really propelled by Universal. Uh, And then other people tried to follow along. We have these great things where they were getting properties like Dracula uh, because there was a famous stage play at the time off of the book, Bram Stoker. You had Frankenstein. Then they found the mummy, which we're doing here. They found uh, other properties. And then uh, with the Hayes Code coming in and kind of the war coming, they kind of like went off of it. And there's there's a couple, which we cite last year in Mad Love's cast, there's a couple movies, I think Mad Love being one of them, that were – that they were like using like these are too horrific these are helping pollute the mind and that yeah. kind of for a while then i think they um which we kind of talk a little bit about within the mouth of
0: madness too. this yeah. idea of media uh, they, they
1: voluntarily <laughs> kind of stopped making horror
0: films yeah you know, well yeah i mean basically in the 30s they're kind of like, okay well i mean i think i mean i feel like uh, Creature of the Back Lagoon well, might be into the 40s. No, and stuff. that's the
1: 50s. So what happens is they stop making in the late 30s. The war kind of starts. And then you have this second wave of, of universal horror where you get the Wolfman movies. Yeah, and yeah, then you get I mean. the sequel... Yeah to uh, they're like well the Wolfman did really well so let's make a sequel then you have like the Wolfman uh, you have then you have like a sequel to the mummy mummy's tomb mummy's hand and then yeah. you have like a, a, a sequel to the a third Frankenstein installment the son of Frankenstein then you're like well what can we do now they start doing team ups Frankenstein meets Wolfman whatever and then those yeah, kind of s- like, you know <laughs>
0: which is again you know very reminiscent <laughs> of what, what we know of in like comics right now yeah you know, like
1: uh, the, yeah, they're doing these crossovers so if you can follow these arcs of how these old properties petered out I mean it's it, it, you you know, you think it's it maybe just antiquated, but this could be. You can maybe follow how the eventual maybe demise of these superhero movies, because what are you going to do next? They yeah. kind of peter out, and then what happens is the next. thing You'll is, get
0: what they do. What they you'll end up getting like you know? Well, they
1: they kind of die out, and you. Well, have, they die because they have Abbott and Costello yeah, come Yeah,
0: it's like they have Abbott and Costello. means Frankenstein, which was
1: uh, they were hugely popular on the radio as being. Uh, you know, they were of course you go see them in person as stand-up. Comedians. You'll end up
0: having like. I don't know. You'd have like uh, a Seth Cook Rogen, meets <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man yeah, or you, yeah, you have, you have Seth, you know, Seth of, Rogen uh, and James Franco, yeah, meets or what's Spider-Man. his
1: face, Bill Burr, you know, all these people are like, you know, Kevin James, and that's the joke. Where well, you're kind of, sort of seeing these, yeah, these, you know, uh, what's the name of that movie with the with the kids? The kids are the superheroes, and like, you know, it's very violent. And there's two of them, and Jim Carrey played in the sequel.
0: Oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that called? But
1: you have though, you know, you have them starting to be, or even. I, I mean, it's funny, but the, you, there's always an element, I guess, in these superhero movies of, of comedy, especially with the last yeah, with yeah. the uh, the little guy that that gets big and small again. Uh, oh, Ant Man! Ant Man, yeah. you know, and that, that's a little more family oriented. But so you have the the, the horror genre kind of putters out. New lives brought into it with, with in getting into the late forties and the fifties with Abbott and Costello who are on a huge kick of movies. They they let's team up with the horror and they, they have them meet Frankenstein and and they in, in that they meet Dracula and they meet the mummy. Those are so popular,
0: universal until the,
1: into the early fifties, start syndicating uh, them on television saying hey we have a whole catalog of movies that are just sitting uh the on,
0: original movies the original
1: yeah. movies from the 30s that are sitting in a vault let's put them on TV and see how they do people start loving them on well, TV that's where we get and then that's know, where
0: we, like George Romero John Carpenter start seeing that's these that's movies
1: on, on creature features late at night and then that's where Universal's like hey maybe we should do some more. So that's when you get the creature from the Black Lagoon in the 50s. And you yeah. yeah, do a couple, and there's probably a couple of other movies. And then that's where you hit in the 50s, you get, I know we're running over this because we don't have time, but then you get to like the uh, people who are kind of worried about, you know, the uh, the atomic bomb going well, yeah. off or well, that's Cold of I War. Say. For the and most you,
0: part, at least in America, horror, 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 horror was very much like giant insects. Yeah, it was radioactive, radioactive, this but, idea you know, of, Or
1: not even just America, Godzilla. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's this? Gojo, or whatever you call the damn thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that Sahara was. You know, thir- the thirties and forties was very much about like this go- Gothic horror because of Universal Studios and then the popularity of those movies. Which you know? we talk
1: about Mad Love the influences from, of last, reason of that. from last October. Yeah. And then
0: <coughs> in the fifties you start getting the idea of aliens. Yeah, post you World know, War II. And the fear, and you have the you have the blacklisting going on and the fear of communism, but you also have the Cold War happening and the fear of nuclear you know, nuclear Fallout. Holocaust and stuff. And, and, and what's gonna affect the So nuclear- you start getting them with giant ants or you get uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is alien, but also very much playing on those fears of communism. Yeah, and and Night and of the
1: tri- tri- uh, Tripids. It's like you get these things where it's all these things are like, you know, maybe because we're like, again, Godzilla, because we're, we're testing these atom bombs, that it's affecting the environment adversely. So in the 50s, Invaders from Mars, you have these great movies uh, that came from another world, the Harryhausen catalog. So you don't really have monster movies so much. I mean, yeah. the monsters become the aliens, the the big ants, yeah, the big insects. It's a very different kind of, you know? it. and it's
0: more of like a science fiction. But at the same time, thriller. they were they
1: were hugely uh, popular. Oh sure. You know, and then you get you have the Blob, the and you th- yeah. you know thing from another but world. But then you have like then, and then Forbidden Planet. And then they try to get like yeah, Forbidden. You go with horror going into sci-fi, and then straight sci-fi with Forbidden Planet. Uh, horror sci-fi and yeah, then you have kind of thriller out you have these kind it. of parodies like hey let's just kind of market it to the kids and it's like what is it the teenage uh, so i'm a teenage werewolf or, oh yeah with michael Landry. <laughs> yeah you have a lot of those which are hugely popular because now they're trying to cater to the kids who are going to the drive-in and you know the scene so they're let's bring the ch- you know the kids into it and have it be niche. so in england they have this the hammer has an idea well you know what we can maybe, you look at these public domain characters like Frankenstein, like Dracula, uh, maybe not so much Dracula right then because Dracula, well, I don't think it was 100 years old yet, but I think Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was. They're able to do these two movies and do horror. Now...
0: And, you know, taking into account Frankenstein hadn't been used as a character since Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, and that was, was what, nine years earlier? Yeah, and that was kind of bumbling
1: as well as uh, he hadn't been, yeah, in in a really kind of good way. It was, you know, it was not, yeah, it was
0: nine years earlier. And and he was kind of like, so it was like there was almost a full decade of not even using the character. And And the last time the character was used was in a comedy,
1: it was a spoof. (laughs) And uh, they also said, you know what, and we've never had frankenstein in color it's always been black and white yeah so jesus can you imagine having it you know in color this could be a great attraction yeah. but then they suddenly realize that um they start to they write a script and the script is very much like the third installment of frankenstein son of frankenstein which you and i have a great affinity for that <laughs> yes one. that's sure. Uh, and they realize they have to try to do enough script changes to make it an, uh, different enough so that Universal can't sue for copyright infringement, so one of the biggest things that they have to first get over is the aesthetic look. So the, the Jack Pierce's makeup is almost copyrighted. How Boris well, Karloff? Yeah,
0: thinks. well, it's interesting because they actually approached Karloff okay. originally to play the part, and uh,
1: and it's funny because you think of Karloff's age in the middle to late fifties; he's got to be pushing maybe yeah. sixty, late fifties at that point, and he already hey, you know what? That was. I, the last movie I, I said I would do as Frankenstein was the Son of Frankenstein. I'm not yeah. doing it anymore. I'm doing a, l- a lot of other stuff. You know, uh, I guess if they offered him enough money, maybe he would have. But he's yeah. like, it's kind of like uh, it was my stepping stone. But I'm kind of yeah, over. Yeah. I've been there, done that. Yeah, I mean, you it was know, now
0: twenty some. And now you're there.
1: you're a fledgling company, maybe taking it if uh, yeah. uh, doing something I've already did thirty years ago <laughs> to get my way <laughs> yeah. yeah. into so acting. They, but
0: they approached him, and and I think that's what got on. Uh, universal's radar that this was happening yeah and so universal was like you know we can't stop you from making a frankenstein movie but, but you can't be taking our shit yeah you, know, you, you can't let's you know let's not make it let's not, let's not rip off one of our storylines for a sequel and you know that jack pierce makeup
1: yeah the boxed head the bolts on the note on the uh on the neck uh the, you know the the, the uh, the kind of scar on the forehead, kind of a thing. Uh, the you know tall with the you know the, the, all these elements that you now think of, yeah. which again we talk about last year in the Mad Love cast, like the that amazingness, are like of the like iconic. The-
0: that iconic image that even nowadays today, people can say you said to somebody even what does frankenstein look like or a silhouette to, you went to like a 12 year old kid nowadays and you said you know what does frankenstein look like and then we That's, have to they would probably point to the carloff and the then image. again
1: to, 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 to we keep bringing up mad love last year because we talk about all this but you can't you just got to sit down and, and pause for a minute and just think of how ignorant uh not sometimes no fault of fault of their own uh younger people or uh, generations are of older stuff for whatever reason it is amazing to think that this is still transcended and they still maybe can pick out Bela Lugosi as v- Dracula or well, that's the Boris image, Karloff you know? as Frankenstein it's amazing when a, kid, when
0: a child goes out for Halloween as Dracula even to today they're Basically. likely most likely going out as kind of the Bela Lugosi yeah, with version, the V with the, with the V you know, like the, uh, the hairstyle. widow's peak and the um yeah, and and that, then the but I also think you know, for our generation, yeah, there was a big resurgence in the '80s. In the '80s, you know, I remember we had I had toys. Yeah, there there was, was a big like, push of marketing Universal, them
1: to us because well, they wanted to. You know, we can cash in on this. So, uh, Hammer realizes that they can't really do a, a a faithful remake, so to speak, of the the Universal 1930 or 31 Frankenstein without getting copyright infringement. So they have to change it enough. So they do that. They they they
0: change the makeup. Yeah. They hire a, a and and they hire a writer named Jimmy S- Sangster who ended up becoming like the main they're, writer. Yeah. They're for like most house writer. Movies.
1: Uh. And they hire another
0: Terrence Fisher. Terrence director. Fisher
1: becomes the director of almost of these house. He becomes movies. yeah. He becomes like the house director. Be- and um, because
0: he was able to churn out, uh, stylistically, you know, like. Uh, significant movies. That's well, that's so what's low impressive budget. about
1: these movies. That like they're not in any way just because they're low budget, they still have the decadence and they have the glamour. That's what my biggest fear was approaching these horror horror movies originally was: are they going to be schlocky? Are they yeah. going to be stupid? Are they going to be like you know uh, Ed Wood kind of movies? And they're it's that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's just a breath of fresh air. It's almost like a if you're a fan of Dracula or Frankenstein or horror, it's just another installment of these movies that you'll love. So they end up p- putting out a movie in 1957 called the uh, curse of Frankenstein, which is very popular. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, they put all their money in it. They made it color.
0: Uh, yeah. Like you said, based on the Quatermass experiment, uh, th- that they decided to go try to do something horror. So C- curse of Frankenstein comes out, uh, criti- critically panned. Yeah. It's the first horror movie in England shot in color. Yep. and, like lavish, like red is the, is you know like this Technicolor film stock. It's like lavish. The primary colors are gorgeous. Yeah, it looks great. And it's the first movie ever to really show like gore yeah <laughs> to be gory it's also so the f- like they push the envelope
1: it's the first installment of frankenstein in a color movie and the gore factor the censors were really the
0: first b- horror movie in england in color in general yeah first a depiction of frankenstein monster in color and then the first movie to really show like kind of at least for the day kind of Blo- reds
1: bloods and all that kind of like you know stuff that like we weren't even doing it over here for the most part to a certain extent, I mean, you know, like, you have Psycho's black and white, and you have, even into, well, like that's the, even
0: a year later. Yeah. I mean, that's more than a year later. It's like, three
1: years later. And, you, you know, you're still... You know, he's using chocolate syrup as the blood, and I mean, because it photographs well, but it's yeah. like, you just think of, like, this is terrifying for people, but so this movie uh, is very well-received, then they go off, like I said
0: they do... Financially. Financially. I mean, critics, yeah. you know, disc- disgusting. Yeah, but people love it. Disgusting, horrendous. Yeah. It costs 65,000 francs uh, to make... And made eighty million. Yeah, so it made over more than seventy times its production cost, Um, and it then in turn made stars and horror legends out of its out out of its main. So you uh, have Peter
1: Cushing in that movie, you have Christopher Lee in that movie. I think Christopher
0: Lee plays the monster. Peter Cushing plays Baron Frankenstein. Yeah,
1: and uh, that's I think their first team up. And then on the side, they make also in fifty seven in black and white, they make the Abominable Snowman with only Peter Cushing's in that. Great movie. That's a very suspenseful uh, uh, horror-driven movie, which has been out of print for a lot of years. It may not even be on Netflix, but I whole, her, uh, wholeheartedly urge people, go check that out. It's amazing. It's a very surprisingly new twist on the Abominable Snowman, Yeti kind of a concept where they're going out to search it, search for it and you know capture it or whatever that's 57 58 because of the success on a Frankenstein they say hey let's do another one of these let's do let's find Dracula so again they look back at the Universal kind of thing and they see what Universal did and they're like okay what can we do here and then they say we have this great troop of actors let's just keep everybody so they put Christopher Lee as Dracula I mean Christopher Lee 6 4 yeah P- Peter Cushing 6 6 foot I think just a solid 6 foot so they cast Peter Cushing as the Van Helsing they cast Christopher Lee as Dracula Christopher Lee I don't think has any lines in the freaking movie and it's he's very menacing and the Christopher Lee uh, uh, portrayal of Dracula unlike like the Bela Lugosi who's a suave del and he's talking to people and he's got that stare Christopher Lee's is more like I guess recently you can think of like uh, what is it 30 days a night. Where he's just like you know. He's there to just you know get the blood and and suck the shit out of and get out. And, <laughs> you know he's that. That's like he's the scary Dracula. He's the Dracula waiting for you around the corner, very much like the Night Stalker. You yeah. know he's that Dracula. He's right waiting around the corner. He has no lines. He'll suck you dry and he takes off and he hides. You know that they do that. It comes out now. At the same time, they're able to um, secure Universal as one of the people in america to distribute it their the the english movie over here in in the states and it's successful because we have you know english-speaking people in it they have um they start using american actors as well yeah. the hammer movies so they make some sort of deal with universal for di- distribution rights at the time universal isn't very doing isn't doing very well they're kind of almost on the uh the the the, like the edge of bankruptcy for whatever reason because they haven't made, out, made good movies in a while. Their horror movies are kind of flagging. They did Creature from the Black Lagoon, but it's still, you know, they're kind of still not in very good financial waters. So they distribute no Dracula. Pun no pun intended. I didn't <laughs> think of that. They do Dracula. They distribute it. And... It makes so much money in the States that it single-handedly takes Universal out of bankruptcy.
0: The the Hammer film. The Hammer
1: Dracula, the the 1958 film versus Because Universal
0: put it out here.
1: Yeah, and they distributed it. So they have a meeting with the Hammer elites, and I think the actual principal Hammer, like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, come in this meeting too with Terrence Fisher. And Universal says, you know, we have to hand it to you. You got us out of bankruptcy. We're so happy. We want to make a deal with you. We want to be able to greenlight you uh, to use our movies, to and you can go back and look into our catalog and take whatever you want, and you have yeah. complete licensing to to to, to, to 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 remake or reboot, yeah, so to speak.
0: Before, before you that was our, a thing,
1: yeah, in our catalog of old horror movies. So you know, Hammer must be head over heels. They must be like, this is freaking great, yeah. You know, so they look and they go through the whole catalog and they take three characters. They take uh, Phantom of the Opera. They take The Mummy, and they take The Invisible Man, and they're going to plan to adapt these things. Now, they end up eventually ad- adapting The Phantom of the Opera, which uh, it's very it, it cost them a lot of money. It was kind of a box-off of disappointment. In, uh, invisible Man never comes to fruition. They never end up making that. But they do take The Mummy, and they end up putting The Mummy out in 1959. And uh, that is the movie we're
0: doing today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they and they also... They shot these things at Brace Studios, which, you know, later would go on to – they shot some of the miniatures and stuff for Alien, and it was also
1: uh, – They do a lot of uh, yeah, f- it, the film work there in the 70s. Uh, and uh, – We have um, – Well, oh, that, that actually gets into to uh, kind of uh, the longevity of it. But, yeah, yeah a and lot of I, stuff is But what I there. think
0: is interesting is they kind of – they form – they, they – there's a thing that develops, which is now considered, and I don't know when it started to be considered this, but like the hammer look that like that, those saturated Technicolor primary colors on the Technicolor film. And of course you had the the stock actors and you had Terrence Fisher directing most of these and you had Jimmy uh, Sangster writing a lot of these and, um, you know, uh, like I said, James Bernard doesn't write the music for this, but he's kind of this, the house guy. They form like their own little troupe, And this actually becomes a bit of a formula that is then emulated for Roger Corman later and is what kind of jumpstarts this idea of independent film in, in kind of America. Yeah. So, you know, Corman kind of sees what's going on there and Corman then takes that and kind of, you know, takes that formula and tweaks it for himself to start putting out these Edgar Allan Poe movies, which is like
1: right in fifty nine or sixty. You know, adding,
0: adding, like bringing that Gothic horror back to America. Yeah. With you know these color film versions, putting you know memorable actors, and that and
1: becomes the, the real competition at the time for Hammer. Where you you end up putting what is that AIV? Oh yeah, what is A-A-I- that? Ai whatever called? his American Artists International. I forget the name of, of of Corman's company, but he puts out like the. Um, uh, the uh Vincent Price one, the uh, uh, the, the, um, what's the hell, hell the name of that first uh, opus one? Uh, How, How, House Usher, Fall of the House Usher, yeah, and that's like amazing. It that like sends up, t- sets up to be like the penultimate, uh, uh, Corman film and then they start being very successful and then he even starts to play on it and they, they start doing kind of even spoofies so they start making kind of like spoofs like Trilogy of Terror or Pit in the Pendulum yeah. kind of being semi-spoofs while at the same time being very serious and they put out this whole series through the 60s of Poe adaptations which some were serious very serious, some are kind of uh, you know like uh, satire and they're very successful but in England they start putting out these Hammer films and they last until at least the early seventies, and they're yeah, well, hugely successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, apparently Hammer, you know, for the next two decades, Hammer's churning out these horrors. Well,
1: they movies. have, they have a because there's no real competition, yeah. and up until the late sixties, which we can get into why they start to have a demise, they start feeding that niche of the old, the old uh, franchise people like the Mummy, the Werewolf, and all that kind of stuff that we, you know, the, their first Werewolf movies, the Screen debut of uh, Terrence, uh, what's his face that we love, from um, The Brood. Uh, oh, Oliver Reed? Oliver Reed, that's his screen debut he plays in the oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the werewolf movie. And, uh, you know, they end up doing all these, you know, like a Dracula, Frankenstein, a mummy, but they also put out some really good other uh, side movies. They do a couple zombie movies. They do, like, a Jekyll and Hyde. They do um, The Man Who Couldn't Cheat Death. They do, like I said, the Obama Snowman. They do a lot of like, n- I wouldn't say they're B pictures, but they're just not like A list names that we know that are just as good. And like you said, this they have this style of bringing like like A list talent, so to speak, uh, like really like you know people that are good at what they do. Be like their actors, their yeah. cinematographers, their set designers, their writers and in the noise, directors. It's kind
0: of like a weird perfect storm. It's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You know, I talk when I interviewed Harry Manfredini for uh my book Scored to Death. Uh he talked about how he's talked to Sean Cunningham a lot about, you know, Friday the 13th and stuff. Harry Manfredini wrote the music for Friday the 13th and they talk about how Friday the 13th really was just kind of lightning in a bottle. He had you know, you had a young Kevin Bacon, but then you had Harry Manfredini was the right guy to write the music. You had Tom Savini was the right guy to, you know. You had yeah. Sean Cunningham. Like, it was just like, sometimes these things happen where it's like everything just happens to be at the right place at the right time. And, it's, and I feel like in a lot of ways, that's what happens here with Hammer. Like, when you take one piece out of, that, of this puzzle That and it'll just collapse yeah. on itself but everything's there at the right time and they start making so
1: much money and they just start churning these things out and they become like this just production company or this even just this whole studio system that just puts out these movies for like we said at least into the mid-70s and you for the for the most part you have peter cushing christopher lee uh christopher lee stays away from the dracula character i, I think until the mid-60s and he comes back but you have peter cushing there you have a uh we said um uh a vet uh Furneaux, she's there as like and then there's i think there's i forget the other actress's name that uh comes out to be another scream queen uh right before they put the mummy out here they the i think the the third movie uh Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing come out with the Curse of Frankenstein, then they team up again for Dracula. Then the third movie, which is a Hammer movie, which I absolutely love, they do um, Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm -hmm. That adaptation where Christopher Lee is uh, Baskerville, and uh, Peter Cushing plays Sherlock Holmes, and it's a great, great adaptation of that Arthur Conan Doyle story. Uh, And that's an example of... things that Hammer were putting out that were not yeah. so much horror but were still genre Sure. And then the fourth thing they come back to do is this mummy movie. And this mummy movie basically ends up being a, um, not so much a remake of the 1932 uh, yeah. universal movie. Even though mummy that movie. was like
0: kind of the intent.
1: The, yeah, it, the antithesis. It, it They end up, the plot-wise, they kind of take all the best elements of the mummy, universal mummy sequels in the 40s, which are like... Um, the mummy's hand. Yeah, the mummy's hand, the mummy's tomb, and the mummy's curse. And they kind of put all the plot together and they turn out this movie and um growing up i mummy's curse or mummy's ghost i thought it was the mummy's curse um anyway uh, maybe there's a mummy's ghost maybe there's there's a couple i'm sure (laughs) but i know yeah the mummy's hand the mummy's the mummy's tomb there's 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 a bunch of those 40s and which are also very great very good yeah they
0: kind of like you know they say you know for instance uh you know like the one you know like uh Ian Fleming book that didn't get made into a uh, James Bond movie until, you know, Daniel Craig was like Casino Royale. Yeah. And then they made like that kind of parody version in the 70s. But the reason why it never got made is because they kind of cherry picked all the best parts. Took it out, yeah, out of that movie and put them in the (laughs) in in the other in the other Bond movie. So you were left with like a story, but no great set pieces. In a way, it's like they did the opposite, where it's like they cherry picked all the great stuff out of all these other Mummy movies and put them in, kind of you know, kind of made their own little soup out of all these ingredients.
1: Yeah, because the first um, 1932. um uh, original Boris Karloff film. is basically where, like, the opening, which is kind of faithful to this version, where they discover the mummy. But then it turns into, like, uh, the Boris Karloff character is masquerading as, like, a a uh, any, like a, an Egyptian um, scholar or professor or, like, a learned person. He's trying to, like, now lay low and find... Uh, it's very much like Bram Stoker's Dracula, where he's trying to find, like, a... Um, like his girl, like reincarnated now in modern civilization. So you don't really have that much of a mummy walking around that you would think of, like, you yeah. know, roaming the sh- countryside. And uh, you get that in the sequels, and that's what they kind of cherry pick here. Now, for me, growing up, I was. And, you know,
0: we also we should mention just we probably talk a lot about this kind of stuff when we did Monster Squad also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which if you haven't yeah, listened to uh, our our Monster Squad, yeah, we, we, I think we,
1: <laughs> we taught we hit on in the eighties that, that yeah we, that resurgence think, of and then uh, kids nowadays um, being able to recognize Dracula, because, uh, and Frankenstein, was it, the images, uh,
0: mummy is uh, <laughs> that funny line? The kid says mummy. My you. mummy, your mummy. But you know. Because you, the mummy in the closet. Yes, you, the mummy side in that kid's closet. You
1: think there's a lot of mummy going on into the 70s, you have of, like, I think. The second episode of Scooby Doo after the pilot is a very classic. Yeah, movie. well, there's this whole other you aspect
0: know, of Egy- of, Egy- of Egyptian stuff that like we don't have time to get into, yeah. which is like the the, the fi- like the discovery of Kooten- Tutankhamun's tomb, and then the taking of the artifact. I mean, this is all playing off of yeah, like in the, archaeological. The, yeah, see, and, <laughs> you <laughs> know, like and like the idea of like a curse on these objects in is the what late inspires in, in the like stories. The, the late
1: 1890s or 1880s, <laughs> or 1880s they find Tutankhamun's stuff, and they they. I they, mean,
0: unfortunately, we don't really have time to go into. Yeah, like like the history of they it, op-
1: they open, they open common They take a lot of stuff out, and then this kind of curse kind of comes out, uh where like they say that you know this, this, and this is basically. And I was always under the impression that this mummy story was as old as time, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, tales you know, <laughs> tales time. time <laughs> That's a movie I love to do. Um, <laughs> and then you have or Bram Stoker's Dracula, but. What I found out was that Universal actually, when they were looking for other properties to, to do when they were yeah. in that Universal horror circuit, they got a girl named Nina Wilcox Putnam from New Haven, Connecticut, where I'm from, to pen a short story from the Peabody. <laughs> Which sure, wish we, we saw a mummy there. <laughs> we, I forget we, what we, mummy, mummy is Well, um, we went- That's another thing. Yeah, it's a whole other story. We went to the-, the, the P, There's a Peabody
0: Museum near where Dion grew yeah, up. And, uh, and we Able went Able. because Dion saw this- Dion por- or Dion's mom, somebody saw this poster for like this mummy- yeah. Like this big mummy exhibit. Yeah. And so we went there and uh, lo and behold- it was just uh, an advertisement for their existing one. You know, like the yeah, house yeah. mummy. The one that i just grown up is, on, which was is pretty... Uh, which was still great. Because, because it's an like, actual mummy like that like they you, have it there. It just and, was a little bit of a disappointment because you had seen it before and you were thinking there was more like stuff there. Like a new there. one there.
1: But they had a great uh, exhibit, I think, uh, on our About Us page. is the That's where that picture comes from, the Peabody. Where, uh, you yeah, feeding the deer. That's feeding from the, the deer, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a very long, convoluted story. But it, they have a great <laughs> exhibit there at the Peabody. But... Um,
0: just a little Connecticut, Egyptian, yeah, uh, little, personal little uh, <laughs> Egyptian, shout out there. Story.
1: Um, so this, um, uh, <coughs> what's her name? Uh, Nina Putnam, Wilcox <coughs> Putnam. Excuse she me. does this short story where she bathe, uh, bases off, there is a very famous, um, well, a story about a magician called Alejandro uh, Calgelostro, and he was a 16th century magician that supposedly when he died, kept himself alive by injecting himself with some sort of, um, I I, I forget what they said. It was like um, uh, he was injecting himself with uh, some sort of, of nitrates to keep himself alive, like a supernatural thing. And she uses this, this, and she does this little treatment, which is turned into the mummy story. And the element she uses is in the 1890s when they, dug up Tutankhamun, there was a suddenly maybe because the uh, uh, native Egyptians were saying that there's a curse that everyone's going to get and for a while there was a I don't know if it was uh, you know like it wasn't real but people believed in this curse and they used to say people started dying anybody in connection with you touch it you help whoever exhumed it took pictures even to the point where I remember since I'm a big Titanic buff growing up that people even said that they thought there was a mummy on the Titanic that, and that's the reason why the Titanic went yeah, down. And then
0: transporting it,
1: and then they, you know, people say that's that's hogwash because they found that's the, poppy yeah, gosh. they found the manifest and on the manifest there's diagrams as well as a, a big inventory of what's on there. So there's no indication that there's a mummy, but people then conversely say, well, if you notice on the manifest there's nothing listed of the gold, diamonds, or any of the like the valuables that are on the ship. So for all we know, it could be something that's unlisted as well. Yeah. So there was this huge. Thing going into the nineteen twenties, one uh, you know, when we get into the serials, where there was really people going out there, like discovering dinosaur bones, or going to the to to to, to Egypt and, and finding these tombs and excavation archaeology. Yeah, they course. were discovering stuff and bringing them back and putting them on tours in London and New York. And then
0: that's where we get very decades later of serials, Indiana Jones. this is where archaeologists preserving historical uh, artifacts.
1: And you have these contemporary writers at the time like Edgar Rice Burroughs or people developing these people like Doc Savage and Quartermain that were doing this kind of a thing. And so this woman, um, Putnam, comes up with the idea of this mummy curse where these people open a tomb and they get a curse on them and and then they accidentally read this thing that brings a mummy back to life. And the mummy's going to go out and kill everyone to get revenge for anyone who who desecrated the the yes. tomb, because they're basically bona fide grave robbers, which you know?
0: in a nutshell is the plot of this, of this mu- movie, yeah. this mommy movie.
1: And um, as well, I always grew up being since I was raised Roman Catholic. I was raised on like the sword and sandal, you know, Bible epics, you know, with those big Cecil B. DeMille set pieces, plots, the color. So when I first saw this movie, this was so reminiscent of that with the yeah. music. I was going to say, like, what you know, was it?
0: Because we had talked about for for this H- October Halloween extravaganza horror extravaganza you know we since we're doing four or as in five movies last year we did five because there was five Fridays um you know we wanted to do something that was a little bit of a throwback like we said many times last year was mad love this year we wanted to go not quite as far back but a little bit more down the alley and, and do something hammer related and so there was a little bit of a discussion of which hammer film we were going to do and you uh I was like, the like, moment you really wanted to do this one. So I was going to I was bet, almost
1: like I said, I was going to suggest Abominable Snowman. But, but that's that, like thriller. Yeah,
0: we were you were thinking that maybe that's a little more thriller. So I was very curious um, because at the time I wasn't I just said, OK, that's the one you want to do. Let's do it. Like I would rather do, you know, you know maybe maybe a yeah, Frankenstein, like or horror, yeah, yeah. Frankenstein or Frankenstein or horror movie or, or Dracula movie might be, you know, um, you know, more because they're more recognizable properties. But I was like, you know, if, if you're passionate about the mummy, let's do the mummy because I'd rather have, you know, a passionate dis- discussion about it. So that was going to be my question: is like, what was it about this one that was? Well, so it's more of a, like a. Even though you weren't nostalgic for this movie in general, no, you were nostalgic for this
1: kind of movie. You, you take for me. I've always found frightening. Growing up, being a huge Scooby Doo fan of like the first two seasons of Scooby Doo, that episode with this, with that, with that mummy, the coin, coin, and then there's a really famous Johnny Quest episode, which actually might be their pilot that has a mummy, and then you remember the 80s. There's the very famous um, Amazing Stories episode where the, they're they're making a mummy movie, and the guy is dressed up as the mummy, and he finds out his life's in labor. Oh yeah, and yeah. he's running to get to the hospital, but then it's very much taken out of this movie that we're doing tonight, where there's people transporting a mummy, and that mummy gets falls into the bog, and it gets up. So then there's two mummies, and people think it's the real one or it's a stunt man, you know, the mummy, you know, on the mummy on the, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah,
0: the mummy's always kind of been with me, and I find the I idea isn't there also a mummy part of the Tales from the Dark Side movie?
1: Yeah, that's the one with um, what's his face, Juliana Moore, and um. Uh, what's his name from uh, you know from Boardwalk Empire uh, from New York native you know from Reservoir Dogs oh, uh, Steve Buscemi Steve Buscemi I one. couldn't yeah, remember
0: yeah. if it was actually Steve Buscemi or somebody that kind of looked like yeah it's, Steve it's a
1: young Steve Buscemi he's the one that like has the curse or whatever reads it off to, to whatever and uh, I've always found a huge romanticism with, it, with these movies like just and I love the idea like that it has it's for the large part it's completely different than the European you know, gothic, uh, you know, uh, very like German expressionism aspect of those horror films. Sure. You have this where it's, you're in a completely different other environment that is so unknown to us. And I love the idea of, you know, the white Europeans coming in, like, I think, I forget again what we've talked about where we talk about this, maybe Tarzan, you know, and they're looking around and then, yeah. you know, they blow open the sarcophagus and, you know, and you're in Egypt. And I love the idea of that, you know, uh, Morocco or Casablanca or Egypt in the 20s or 30s, you know, circa, you know, pre-World War II Indiana Jones where yeah, there's yeah. you know, all guys in fezes, you're making deals and <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's so, it's it's always fascinated me to think about like, you know, you're going, you know, you're, you're finding a esophagus and then, you know, you, you, and then there's some sort of curse released and then it's brought back to their native land and that no matter what you can't do so it was more you more just like stop the, it.
0: It was more of a nostalgic for uh, the f- Like the feel of this kind of movie, and then just like the nostalgia you have of them for like mummies in general, Mm, you know, (laughs) but then then
1: when you get to, but that then comes to why when I this was probably aside from the Abominable Snowman, this was the first Hammer movie I saw. I see, and then uh, and I I must have saw it while we were in college, yeah, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, because I knew Christopher Lee, uh, I knew. Uh, Peter Cushing all them very well I had seen Hound of the Baskervilles before that and I just thought they were so you know so well acted and all that and then I had not really seen the horror the, the Frankenstein of the Dracula movies until a couple of years ago when I kind of watched them kind of in order all the sequels so it, all that affinity of growing up and the, the you know of me growing up on like Ten Commandments and all those kind of Historical movies that take place in Egypt that yeah. are religious based, and then seeing this movie and it being so well done. Yeah. And you know, that tale of the mummy coming in, and to me, this seems kind of like more even than the original Universal Boris Karloff uh, 1932 mummy movie. This mummy movie, the story seems a little more like the 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 tale, uh, you know, the the classical epic where, yeah. you know, they open the thing. They break a curse and then you have a a, a, a yeah, guy there. Yeah, and then he ends up its a bit of a morality And it's tell. the same; it's the same plot they end up using in the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, you know, in the, yeah. in the, in the late nineties, where this is the same. They kind of take yeah. this plot. There and is and that do the same notion thing.
0: of like you know, there's. It's an interesting movie. I mean, it's an interesting tale which b- has been told uh, you know different ways many times, but it is like this notion of. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily in the right. No, not at all. You know, it's like, so there is this question of who's right and who's wrong. And maybe no, but none of them are really right. But there is like, you were so worried about whether you could do it. You didn't stop to think whether you should. Do yeah, do it. it's, it's very much
1: that. And I think that was a lot of, in those days, this, this starts off in 1895, exactly 100 years from last week's movie, uh, in the mouth of madness, you know, a hundred years before. And, uh, yeah. they they open the they open the thing up um I love how you ha- you have pier Cushings on with his father and they they this father's a a, a big uh, archaeologist and they're they're on they've been working all their lives the father and certainly the son who's been studying under the father to find this mummy um they find the mummy they're on the edge of uh you know f- making entry into the tomb and uh we explain away why Peter Cushing can't be there because he broke his leg in an accident and he's trying to wait the leg to, the leg to set. They, they're able to gain access in. Uh, the father goes in with another guy. And then inside there, the 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 mummy is awakened. Goes in with like like an uncle or something. Yeah, who's
0: like the really the voice of reason that nobody's listening. Yeah, to. Yeah, he's like maybe well, he's, he's like just, we gotta get him to the hospital. He gotta set his gotta set his leg properly for Christ. Yeah, he's like, like saying you know what maybe you should go to the
1: hospital here uh, as well as um you know maybe we should wait and then the because the father all his life have been has been searching for this as soon as they open the tomb they go right in and they kind of let. caught you know throw caution to the wind and in there the father starts fiddling with stuff and he takes something up that opens a secret door and out comes our mummy here um, whose name is uh, Arnanka and um, kind of scares the father into a, to a insanity
0: yeah well he starts reciting and we don't know what happened
1: the yeah the father starts inciting the, the he
0: opens he takes this thing off the wall and then that opens like a secret compartment yeah, because you know on the, the other side of the room yeah and uh, he opens then he, the opens, to, up and then he opens the scroll preserve, and he starts reading the hieroglyphs, translating rea- the hieroglyphs of the scroll.
1: And he doesn't realize that what he's reading is like basically the... the Clock st- top. Right? Yeah, <laughs> It's the incantation. To actually bring someone back from the dead. And it wakens up uh, the mummy and the mummy's about to kill him. And then we find out later on why it doesn't kill him. But then it just drives him mad. Everyone runs in. He's cr- insane. The movie cuts to six months later. Christopher leaves. Uh, Peter Cushing's legs all messed up because, of course, he didn't have his set. All fucked up. He's limping, and, and they're, they're, they've taken everything out of the tomb. They're just about to leave, and uh, he's like, "Jesus, you know, my father. He's, he's in an asylum in England. He hasn't changed. He's kind of catatonic." They are bu- about the balls. Yeah, it's a lucky <laughs> shot. That's all. That's a flashback to last week's. Oh, uh, throwback. And then uh, they leave. They they, they kind of blow the entrance to the castle to to to, to the to the tomb. And they leave. And then we have the guy there who was warning them at the beginning of the movie. You yeah, know, like don't go na- in like a native Egyptian. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's like, you can't, you know, yeah, there's like, some things in his world you shouldn't really mess with. <laughs> yeah, and they don't rob listen to the him. dead. These and, were meant uh, to be preserved forever, left alone. The yon end yon of the yada. scene.
1: Yeah, the end of the scene happens. They blow the tomb, they leave, the white man leaves, and then this guy gets on his knees and he praises his God and he says, I pray to you that I'm gonna spend all my resources to, to try to open that up. Get the mummy out, and we're gonna seek revenge on all these people who've plundered. All these motherfuckers. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's gonna bring hell's name of with the me. god
0: because it's not a. It's a familiar name, but it's not a name of an Egyptian of a real Egyptian.
1: Yeah, they they ended up getting this. It's it's a, it's a real Egyptian, but it's not an Egyptian god. Uh, the
0: person, but that it's they, like a really f- like a. It's been. It's a name used in other shit like Kalel. like Superman. <laughs> stuff like yeah, Brad. it's
1: um. I gotta find the name of the darn thing. God damn it! But um, not done open a can of worms. Um... Uh, Karnak Karnak yeah, yeah. And Karnak in real Egyptian lore well, I guess was a real it was person yeah, it was Johnny Carson <laughs> it was Johnny Carson with a big thing on his head but it wasn't an, an Egyptian god and uh, that's where they kind of get it wrong but he's praying to Karnak and he's like you know they, they there's they desecrated I forget the woman's the,
0: the the tomb they're actually opening yeah i mean basically uh, christopher we learned this through a, a very extensive flashback yeah. later on about the, the 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 lore of this but christopher lee's with some kind of priest or something and he's in love with the girl yeah and, and we, uh, the the tomb is up for, is for this woman that christopher lee was in love with yeah that they hope that, that they go in it
1: is basically the plot we see this again in the 1999 mo- mummy where she ends up dying Christopher Lee, uh, his character who's he's like a high priestess, Arnunka, he's there. They do the whole he's supposed to be the the ritual um to, to to have her pass to the other side in the Egyptian lore. And they do all the proper procedural things. And then, like the night before that the, the tomb is gonna be sealed forever, Christopher Lee breaks in. And he's gonna um, recite the the cantation to have her come back to life because they've been lovers, right before he's literally about to say the last word, and you can see like movement on her eyelid. Yeah,
0: she's kind of waking
1: up. They uh, the people break in. They're like, "What are you doing?" And he's what like, "Shit!" <laughs> and as his what are you doing in here? Yeah, and as his um, punishment, they first cut out his tongue, so that the gods that he so he won't quote. Uh, offend the God's ears for the for everything that's going to happen to him next so they rip his tongue out and then they whatever else they do to him then they mummify him in in bandages and then they seal him in there alive and they curse him to forever be the uh, the guardian guardian of the tomb to, to like look over so that the tomb is never like vandalized and then, so he's very much like an Edgar Allan Poe story. Yeah, he's, he's walled in. He's walled in alive, very freaky.
0: And that's how. And that's, that's the secret passage that the father ends up accidentally yeah. opening when he takes the thing off the wall.
1: And that's that's the fate of Christopher Lee as the mummy's character. So uh, we have our man who's the Egyptian who you know who prays to Karanunk that he's going to avenge. Then cut to three years later, which is 19, eight, 1898, and then uh, the fa- it's. I love this. Where the father 's still catatonic, and then all of a sudden the father wakes up in the asylum and he needs to talk and I think it coincides with that Egyptian in Egypt being able to open the thing and bring yeah. everybody over and It becomes I love the idea of um you know the Egyptians you know coming to that part of england he 's going to rent a manor house up the road he 's bringing his Egyptian shit, and then he 's going to start <laughs> yeah. sending out. Yeah, uh, Christopher Lee wants a night to kill yeah. everybody that was involved one at in the, a time yeah go and kill the
0: first guy go kill the second and guy and I love the, the idea girl.
1: that like you know Christopher Lee basically is like Jason Voorhees or like a, it was um, like, a yeah, like a Mike Myers
0: that also you know? it's very like Caligari
1: yeah he comes out way. or like the Gollum he he comes out and if you and I were both in on it and his uh, assignment that night is to kill you he won't go after me he'll just he'll just Stop me if I'm trying to stop him, but his yeah, yeah. his mission is to kill you, and I find that fascinating. So, yeah, it's just it's and his whole like, like so. The father wakes up, and the, it's almost like the father knows. So I I find that amazing that there's maybe some it's sort some of connection. Of link.
0: Yeah, it's that like you know, because
1: and he's like just he's like you, you're an idiot. You know, the father's suddenly making sense, but he's not making sense to Christopher Lee. And I love the Christopher Lee's now walking with that limp. It's yeah. really cool, and um. I, uh, I'm sorry. I keep saying Christopher Lee. Peter Cushing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you meant. <laughs> and Christopher Lee comes out, and Christopher Lee. I think his makeup is amazing. It was a gentleman by the name of uh, Roy Ashton who did the makeup, and I think he really looks awesome. You know, his his version of the mummy. Like when he first comes out of that bog, because what happens is there's like a funny thing where it's like they're bringing. Uh, You know, all the transporting.
0: They have hires these two drunk guys to transport the casket with the mummy up to like his manor. And they go,
1: they're going too quick at night. They don't have the the, the things secured on the back. And then they hit a bump. It goes off into some bog and it sinks. And the next day they realize it's lost. But then that night the Egyptian guy comes, reads his cantation, and then it starts bubbling out. Comes freaking Christopher Lee as the mummy. And he looks awesome with all the black goo on and all that. And he just starts sending them out. And I love like the dump, dump, dump. 't like he's just on a mission. He's he's basically like you know Jason Voorhees is unstoppable, yeah, yeah. and he looks freaking awesome. And then he's gonna go, you know, and he, and another thing about this mummy is I don't know so much in the other like in the in the newer of Brendan Fraser movies, he's like he's a, he's he's magic and stuff, and there's holes and there's all other yeah, yeah. subplots which I don't know are if they're canon to the older Universal movies. But I love that the idea that since this mummy Christopher Lee's is supernatural, he has quote-unquote supernatural abilities where he's able to, like, you know... He first goes to the asylum to kill the father, so he's able to rip the bars right off. Yeah, and yeah. He's able to get in, and I love... <laughs> you know, his his manner of dispatching people is just like the old one arm to the throat, and <laughs> crushes the esophagus. Yeah. And um, you kind of feel for the Christopher Lee character where he's kind of like... You know, he he... For his... You know, he's kind of like... Cursed to have this.
0: Well, he's a tool, yeah. Yeah, I mean and he was, you know, he's cursed to this fate
1: because of his insubordination or his and, well, and his
0: love for this woman. that Yeah, becomes it's very a Romeo plot, and Juliet, yeah, you becomes know, becomes a bit of a plot point
1: later on, and you don't really realize, and it's and um, it becomes kind of like sad that like you can kind of read off of because Christopher Lee uh, has a weird upbringing where he was he his his like first cousins like uh, Ian Fleming and he had other you know he had, he he has a very really amazing past and to think that like a guy who was acting back then was still acting up a, up until his death in 2015 yeah and excuse me he was in like you know star Wars movies the modern ones. heavy
0: metal band yeah he was in all kinds <laughs> of
1: he's you hear that stuff where he's like so, like yeah excited. he was helping them because they were all big into like him and he, he did vocals <laughs> for an album or two um he's a really i mean even P- peter cushing too has, a, has an amazing kind of a, a a life as well but it's 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 uh really cool just just you know I th- he he I think studied as a mime for a while, so um he he's really able to try to convey in his face you know if, if you have no dialogue the, the the kind of like the empathy that he has or the, sure. the, you know the solace of this whole um, but also a situation uh, also going on.
0: because he's kind of so big, i mean there's also a menace yeah, I mean there's a the six foot
1: four frame and how they kind of design the bandages around him, it's almost like they're kind of skin tight and by this time they've kind of formed over him you know it's so frightening to see his eyes when they like kind of wall him in initially yeah. and then to see what it's become like four centuries later that he's just been hanging out in there. And it's just, it's so scary to me. And then it's like, I go to England a lot and, and I, I really get scared of silly of me, but like at night when I'm in like a rural area, I get scared. Like freaking England at night. This is where yeah, you, yeah. a mummy might walk fucking by. <laughs> That's or, where fucking you know, mummy might show up. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> or you're on the moors. You're going to find a fucking werewolf or like zombie, the origin of zombies aside from the voodoo aspects. There's a lot of ghouls and stuff from like the 14th and 15th centuries on the english moors or in england and it's kind of like that scares me so i get really scared at night being there with the fog and the stuff Mm -hmm. and it's like i'm gonna think some monster's gonna go walking by and um i think he's just it's it's just such a great thing that he's a tool he goes kills comes back and i love the whole plot points where he goes after first uh the peter cushing the the father's friend of the family he comes in and he goes after him and, and Peter Cushing, you know, it's he has his gun locked up so it takes an hour for him to get the gun out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he and he's he unloads freaking the whole you know, six shots into the back and I love yeah. the squibs. The, yeah, you yeah. know, it, the squib effects are amazing and then and later dust. on it's great. And then later on when he comes through the the um the, the, the stained glass or the, the, the uh, glass windows to, to go for Christopher uh, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing has that double barrel shotgun. And I think that's like the best set piece in the whole movie where he just shoots both barrels off of, uh, Christopher Lee's chest and you see like yeah. huge explosions. Well, they say, you know, Christopher Lee, you know, he got injured. He got, he got fucked up on this yeah, movie. Yeah, like the, the squibs, all
0: the squib hits would take would, took weeks to heal. Left the powder ru- burns. Left burns and bruises. Um, and then uh, he, he carrying, was supposed to crash through like those doors or something when he first
1: some- when he first goes and kills like the uncle character in the house when Peter Cushing like unloads the revolver into him he's supposed to come through the front door which is a giveaway door and he says like right before they're about to film some set hand uh put the <laughs> latched put the like the uh the chain on the door yeah. so when they they do the take which is the take they use in the movie he puts his shoulder in it and takes the door down. He, like, ripped his... He, he like, you know, did all this damage to yeah, his like shoulder. Yeah, dislocated his
0: shoulder or broke something. Because of <laughs> that. But he <laughs> just,
1: you know, as, as the thespian he is, he played the scene out. Because the scene, he walks up and strangles the fucking guy. Then they yell, cut. And then later on, when he takes um, um, Yvonne, uh furno, he says, a lot of times in these movies, which happened in Dracula and this Frankenstein... or In the, in the, in the Mummy movies, you know... He, the girl faints, and then he has to take this woman up, who's like dead weight, <laughs> like a limp woman. <laughs> yeah, and he has to pick her up in his hands and walk back with her. So he said, "With this, you know, with he had a, he was having problems with his shin and ankle because there's scenes where he's walking into the bog. There's all these pipes and." St- warmers and lights to make the effects of the bubbling yeah. and stuff so he's knocking his shin and ankles on all that stuff and he's tripping and then he's carrying this woman into the bog or he's walking on sets with her so he, he did all this back damage and all yeah, that yeah. and then like you said he had these powder burns and him and i think the stuntman as well that did the, that did one of the effects had it too but he did the old he did his the stunt himself too where he came through the glass doors that yeah, was all yeah. christopher lee and uh it's just amazing to think of like the 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 filmography these guys had where like Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee are like doing movies in the late fifties and Peter Cushing dies, I think in the late eighties, early nineties. But then Christopher Lee goes into like, like I said, like two years
0: That's ago, like a resurgence. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then he, you know, he, he shows up, he's in the Lord well, of the, the Rings. Yeah. Tim Burton
0: started using him too. Yeah. Cause
1: I mean, sleepy hollow is very much an homage to the hammer films, yeah. you know, uh, uh, and then even so much so where he uses Christopher Lee, but he uses, I think he even puts in, you know, the guy who plays the poacher in this movie, the drunk poacher. Yeah. I think that guy, I forget that actor's name. He shows up. I think he is a cameo in the Tim Burton movie too. You know, And yeah. that certainly was very much an homage to, to the hammer movies, but, um, it's just amazing to think like 60 years, this guy still, you know, and then like in the, in the last Star Wars movies, he's, he's a Jedi, he's fighting freaking, you know, <laughs> Yoda jumping all around and stuff like that, you know, yeah. or him being the high priestess in the Lord of the Rings. He has like such a, you know, he's in all these great franchises now yeah. that now he's, uh, which is great. He's now kind of, um, been brought to all this whole new generation, gen- of people, generations yeah. of audiences because of that. And, uh. I thought Peter Cushing is so good in, as the, you know, the tormented. You know, he's such a good-looking guy, Peter Cushing, at the time. He's, like, you know, he's young, and he's he brings such believability to it. Like, he's kind of, like, uh, he's tormented. Like, he doesn't know what to do with his dad. And then when his dad's killed, he's like, what am I going to do? And he's trying to explain, like, I think there's a mummy coming to get me, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's and trying to, like, to tell the
0: police, I think. What if it's coming for me? Yeah, and, they're, like, you're a freaking what, idiot. What if I tell you he's going to try to kill me tonight? And uh, um, I would say, for me, like, kind of, uh, you know, for me, the the color that quality of the film grain yeah. and there was there's something very nostalgic about that for me as well and and watching it's just that so lush right it's, like, and it's so like fifties beautiful horror there's just a look to things like that film stock there's such such just just a, such a weird look to it that's so beautiful in a certain way and and I kind of love that it's all sets. Kind of like so clearly, but there's there's a
1: you could tell they didn't have a big budget, but they're certainly using it to their fullest with the soundtrack and at the beginning, like the bomb and then the Egyptian yeah. stuff, like you know? all
0: that is like very reminiscent of you know, some of the TV shows that would come later, you know, yeah, even stu- like, yeah. you know, like Gilligan's Island or Star Trek, you know, like that has like this confined feel, which you know, we talk a little bit about like the claustrophobia of that kind of feel in last week's episode of uh in the mouth of madness but there's a there's a very nostalgic like sound stage you set the of it. set and uh, you know, there's something very uh I mean the set designer
1: um should name his name Bernard Robinson. He he's great doing the set design. I thought that was amazing. Uh, the score itself, I forget who did the score, but he's got a weird. He's got like one of
0: those crazy. Got some crazy name.
1: I found a lot of um, Franz
0: R- 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 Reisenstein.
1: I wonder if he did a lot of the Hammer movies. He doesn't.
0: Inside. He actually didn't do a lot of movies in general. I think he only did one or two other Hammer movies. I mean, his filmography is not that long. Um, like I said, this guy, James Bernard did like the Frankenstein movies and the the, uh, Dracula movies and his, and he's become kind of, uh, known as quintessential, um, and he did the Quatermass movies and he's like considered one of the great horror composers. Uh, this, there, there's this is a beautiful score. There's something very reminiscent of something like, for instance, like, uh, Aladdin yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> I know the music well, is very reminiscent there, of that which is understandable given like the the place in you know, the time that this there's
1: um scenes where they're um where I think it's when they're back in England and they're kind of waiting and maybe Christopher or Peter Cushing's having a scene with his with his kind of like fiance or wife that the music cues are very much to me like straight out of I mean it's a reversal of course but it's straight out of Bram Stoker's Dracula like yeah. the music cues that, that very like love between the scenes where you have Gary Oldman and and um, what's her face blah 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 yeah the scenes that they play together the romanticism of that like the even I, it even sounds like it's almost identical to the medley, yeah. the melody there which um, I found great and it's just it's amazing that for the lack of budget they had they made it look so big and they made it look so like maybe like studio like American studio film like an MGM yeah, or a yeah. Warner that they're able to accomplish with it and uh, I mean, the, the movie turned out to be a success. And it's, it's like, like, like I said, cr- like Christopher Lee's character. Is so like he's so like menacing. That's just his six foot four frame and how he looks. And he's well, it's frightening. Just, I he's think much it's more scary to me. As cool as Boris Karloff looks like kind of that beautiful Jack Pierce, like, you know, uh, wrinkled face, yeah. which I think is amazing looking. To me, this mummy, the Christopher Lee mummy, is just more, much more frightening. Yeah. You know, like, he's the zombie, you know, coming to get you.
0: I think it's interesting how they kind of fall directly into those, uh, the roles instantly because of Curse of Frankenstein, where it's, in a way, I mean, and you could argue, like we said earlier, there's a little bit of a morality. Who's who's in the right, who's not in the right? Maybe neither one of them are in the right kind of thing. But it's like, in a way, it's like Peter Cushing always plays the hero. And Christopher Lee's always stuck playing the monster. Yeah. I wonder if there was always like Well there's the exception Christopher to, was like, God damn, why can't I play <laughs> I think the exception <laughs> the to the that
1: hero. earlier on is in um Hound of the Baskervilles, Christopher Lee's just like the guy who's having the problem at the Baskerville yeah, mansion, yeah. which is nice
0: and then But in these horror movies he's yeah he's, he's always he's, he's the May Frankenstein's monster, he's Dracula, yeah. Peter Cushing and Typhan. Like if there was
1: a rivalry or maybe there was even like a let's do like a switch emaro where they kinda yeah. reverse roles. Uh I don't remember like that what is that that terror trainer there's that 70s movie with the two of them and then telly zavala shows up where they're not really villains i mean you know christopher lee isn't really playing a villain so much they're playing like kind of like the same kind of person um i also think to point out in this movie too that there's very little gore and i think that's pretty crazy to think that there's there's not so much i think and they did that as a conscious decision i think um what's his face terrence fisher the director he says uh quote um i've always tried to avoid being like uh blatant any pictures and whenever possible he wanted to use the camera to show things especially nasty things he wanted to show like have people think like uh, yeah. implication as opposed to showing it and I think they do that successfully here where certainly because of the source material in Frankenstein and Dracula you have to show blood There's, yeah, it's yeah. Gory. Frankenstein's gory because he's a body that's stitched together Dracula's gory because he's sucking blood where this movie yeah, the only real violence is you know mummy break it in and just grabbing you by the throat and just breaking your windpipe and okay walking out or this is like the only really violence you have is just like the, the great scenes where they're just shooting them and you know it's almost there's like three times where you think Peter Cushing's done you know Christopher Lee's got his throat and then he's like yeah. <laughs> strangling <laughs> I was going to then- say
0: nobody quite like he's being strangled over a piece of furniture and nobody quite can topple from a piece of furniture as, onto, r- the, onto the as floor. As <laughs> great as Peter <laughs> Cushing, <laughs> Cushing, he just falls out. He's always I'm, being strangled over a piece of furniture, and then something happens. let's go, and then just, he just <laughs> pushing, over in topples over, topples onto the, way. the floor. <laughs> and then what you were alluding to before is what ends up happening,
1: which is for when I first saw this movie, uh, I must have seen it after the Mummy movie, so maybe <clears> I'd seen it between the sequel. Is that I love the plot twist of that. They interject in that like, you know, his fiance looks like Peter Cushing's fiance looks looks like Christopher Lee's the original woman, the
0: Egyptian love that he
1: had, which is very much a a plot theme from like, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula sees Nina. And that's the whole thing there. So the second, the the night he goes to kill Peter Cushing, he's got him over the desk and he's throwing it. And then his girlfriend or fiance or wife comes down, you know, and, and, P, uh, christopher lee sees her and he's like shit and then he like just what? and I, then i love not the, nothing i don't do yeah i love the realization there he really he looks and then he and then he kind of thinks of himself and he looks what he looks like and he's just like he's almost shamed he stops what he's doing, he leaves and then peter Cushing has the great fall off the desk and he's yeah. like and um, then the next he's trying to explain and then the guy who's sending him out uh, christopher lee to kill everybody thinks it's done and then christopher lee's like i'm gonna fuck with him or peter Cushing's like i'm gonna fuck with him and he shows up at his house like hello I know it's one in the morning, but I'm just coming to say <laughs> hi. And then he's like, yeah, "How are we're you?" We're at a fruit
0: basket. Yeah, and, he's,
1: and he because he because they're like, "Do you think this has anything to do with the Egyptian that just moved in?" Next, uh, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, the police. Yeah, are we're,
1: like, we're not trying to. Uh, he's you know, like, "Wait, no, the Egyptian moved next door." Yeah, we're not trying to. Uh, what is that when you when you racial uh, profile? Yeah, we're not yeah. trying to <laughs> racial profile, but an Egyptian could. Have, and by the way, he was bringing some Egyptian artifacts. It's just, fun, but we don't want to racially profile here, so. Um, when peter cushing leaves he's like all right everything seems on the up and up sir We'll we'll, we'll talk soon and he, and he and he ends up leaving after really f- fucking with him like i think your religion is about to horse shit yeah, yeah and i'm gonna tell you why and then um the guy sends christopher lee out again and when christopher lee goes back and it's like a setup and then of course they think it's a setup but then nobody the, the, the mummy kills everybody involved or knocks every, almost everybody out yeah he breaks in and then that time the, the girl saves him again his girlfriend and then your uh, hair yeah <laughs> let the <laughs> fucking hand up two letter word Abby Normal Abby <laughs> yeah. well, that a give
0: she comes in and there's this moment where she has, she has her, her hair, hair down up. she has her hair down earlier in the movie yeah. he's like I never really noticed that with your hair in that style your hair down you look surprisingly like the the whatever and so she has her hair up in the in the seat towards the end of the movie and Peter goes she's like put your fucking <laughs> <hair down. laughs> ur, ur, put your hair down and he's like she's
1: like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she oh yeah, oh yeah my hair yeah and she does it and then that st- again stops um,
0: and then of course she faints off camera
1: yeah and then he picks her up and he <sighs> takes her away because he's like oh shit this is She's like,
0: she's, she's like all fucking worked up. And then we cut away. Then when we cut back, he's, she's unconscious. And he's
1: taking her away. And then that's, uh, that leads us to the finale. Yeah. The finale, which ends up being that he ends up killing the, the, because the Egyptian guy is like, kill her. And he's like, wait, what are you? Chris really is like, no, I'm supposed to protect her. That's why you fucking
0: put me in this wall to protect her fucking corpse.
1: And then he ends up killing her and uh, he ends up killing him. And then there's a whole demise there. Quote
0: unquote master. Um, and then the, uh, Yeah,
1: <laughs> and then the, um, what was I going to say there? And then very much again, like, you know, him coming out of the bog is, again, very reminiscent to me, like EC Comics of the other yeah, day, yeah. you know, like that, That's like those images are just so iconic to me. I, and I, I, I don't think know if it, the
0: cover of your DVD is the original poster, but yeah, it's fucking awesome. It is the you? original poster, because so, beautiful. the original poster
1: is this, uh, it was even before the mummy, the movie was done, and it's this thing of, it's the mummy, and then there's a big, like, hole in the mummy, and there's a big light shining through, so... Somebody looked at the this conceptual art and they're like, "What does this have to do with the movie?" They're like, "Nothing." So the rumor is that it was Peter Cushing's idea. Then in the second attempt, to take the uh, harpoon off the wall Uh and then drive it through, and that's kind of maybe explains a why way why there's on the cover there's going to be a big hole, light coming through. But that was the original.
0: Fucking takes a couple of shotgun loads of. I know. (laughs) 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 Either one of those could have went all the
1: way through. I think to this day that's some of the best, like, for me, I love that. I, again, I love that whole set piece of him just blowing shotgun ch- to the chest and he's yeah, unstoppable. Yeah. And the poster, that shows, I guess, that they were churning it out. So they made the poster and they put it probably, like, in theaters, like, coming soon before they even started shooting the damn movie because yeah, yeah. they knew it was going to be good. Um, yeah, so you said they filmed a bit of it at Sheppington Studios along with their place. It ended up co- costing them, uh, I guess it wasn't pound at the time, 96000 and then they sold it to Universal for 125, and they they ended up really making their money back. Um, it was released a month uh, right before *The Man Who Could Cheat Death*, and which was another uh, big horror hit for them. Uh, the scene with the shotgun that we keep saying they had the sensors made them shorten that scene. And then there was a scene with the sensor. I heard, with the tongue that I guess they shot it two ways. Yeah. They shot it where you could see them take his tongue off. And then, you know, there's a little blood coming down and they shot it from the back.
0: I kind of like the way it is in the movie.
1: Yeah. That they, because it's, again, it leaves you up to the, yeah. uh, to, to your, to the imagination. Um, what's her name? Nina uh, Wilcox Putnam in 1959 time magazine interviewed her. And she was kind of pissed that they. She's like, I didn't know that mummy that that ha- this Ho- hammer is making this movie, but she says that and she's um, the one that
0: wrote that story, the short story that they ended up
1: that that Universal commissioned to help be the yeah. basis of the 1932 movie. That she basically came up with this mummy franchise, sure, which is really, yeah, which is really nice. So she's, she's like, I, you
0: know, I could have used a little extra. Scratch yeah, well, for she this one. <laughs> she
1: she doesn't like the movie. She thinks it's just too. You know, she made it fr- uh, as a archaeological chiller, quote-unquote, with Boris Karloff, and she doesn't like how it's become like a horror movie. Yeah. You know, and she, at the time, of course, is is calling it very gory, very whatever. So she doesn't like that at all. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's quite tame compared to the all the other movies that came out. Sure. You know, uh, in Universal as well as the, uh, you know, uh, the other Hammer movies at Yeah, the time.
0: yeah. And I think this is another one of those movies that you would catch, you know, like I said, I caught The Curse of Frankenstein when I was little, like on afternoon... <laughs> Television. So this is a kind of movie that, at least for uh, I think our generation, you know, we might have caught on television on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, or like we said with Mad Love, if it was a sleepover movie, it's one of those creature features that yeah. might catch with like a Sven oh, or certainly or uh, you know Zachary type uh, horror host. Uh, so you know, even though uh, these movies aren't really, you know. Weren't really of our generation. I mean, and I, th- I think y- you and I especially have a have a fondness for yeah. for this kind of cinema. Yeah, I think it's great.
1: Um, and this ended up leading to uh, a couple sequels: the Curse of the Mummy's Tomb in '64, they did the Mummy Shroud in '67, and they did Blood from the Mummy's Tomb in 1971. And then what ends up happening with Hammer? They end up gradually declining declining in the late '60s because once they kind of the MPa code is lifted or the Hays Code is lifted in um, the mid to late 60s, you start getting movies like uh, Bonnie and Clyde, The Wild Bunch, and then certainly Night of the Living Dead in 1968, which kind of just you know, puts a new standard for sure. horror. You have uh, pe- you know, people who were seeking out Hammer to begin with because of the their sexual concept of you know, the women and the violence and the blood, but now you're starting to get that on the mainstream, oh, so yeah. people aren't, don't necessarily need to seek out Hammer particularly to see that. So that's why Hammer kind of falls by the wayside into the 70s. And then I think, sadly, in like 1970, maybe like eight or nine or 80, they kind of dissolve. And at the same time, which is very funny, there's a very funny series called On the Buses. That was a TV series in England that they made three movies with that Hammer ended up um, producing, which I have a story for, but we don't have time for this cast. But they do three, which is not horror, but they're comedy series yeah. that they do. I always
0: read that it was a combination. Uh, their eventual dissolve in the 70s was kind of a combination of like poor business guidance from Enrique Carrera's grandson who was now taking who I was now running the business, uh, Michael. And then, like you said, I mean, my, my seventy. By the late '70s, when they finally dissolved, I mean, by that time we had like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I and, mean, you're really, you know, like horror. You had The, the Exorcist, had and come it was out. a new kind of horror too, because back
1: then we're still Hammer's still relying like Edgar Allan Poe, the, the Corman movies. You're still relying on the Mummy, Frankenstein, uh, you know, uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Where these horror, the horror of the '70s is, is the Psycho, on the left, or, you know, or, yeah, <laughs> I mean, slasher. Where it's just, it's a completely different world, and then you could say recently hammers come back. They kind of came back in the early odds or mid odds. And they've put out now woman in black. They put out, um, uh, the resident, I think it was called. It was, which is one of the last movies that, um, what's his face did, uh, Christopher Lee. and, 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 uh, they did woman in black. They did the resident, which is 2011. They did let me in. And the resident, sadly, he, Christopher Lee was supposed to have a bigger role in that movie but i think he fell while filming that movie yeah. and he really hurt himself and that was a decline in his health and that's the reason why when you go see the sequel to the wicker house the wicker man it's called yeah. like the wicker something yeah. he only has a cameo in that and he's sitting down because of the the fall he took filming the resident yeah. and then and, they did the woman in black and woman in black Two, which i thought were pretty good so hopefully they yeah were, i only
0: saw the first one and also you know just the, the kind of like effect that they had you know like Granted, most people consider it Argento's worst movie, but a couple of years ago, Argento made a Dracula 3D Oh, yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, whether you like it or not, there's no doubt about it that it's like his loving homage to the Hammer films. Yeah. <laughs> For sure.
1: So I, th- I just love it. I, and, and, you know, you know me, which you, I think you've already said in the beginning of this cast, like I'm just such a, like a...
0: Uh, 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 uh,
1: a fan of this kind of genre and this kind of thing. So I think it's it's such a great Saturday night movie. You put this on or you catch it as a creature feature and it's one of these things where, you know, yeah you, you know, it's just a great epic and it's otherworldly and like I said it's it's distinguished enough where it's not again like one of those you know European horror movies uh, in a sense of like a uh, Frankenstein or you know it's not the English countryside or yeah, you know yeah. th- to a certain extent it starts yeah, I like yeah. the mysticism of the Far East or, or at least Egypt and all that sure I think that's great um I think Sleepover Stars I give this probably like a 3.5 I'd or say 4. Th- for
0: me I'd say 3 you know uh, it's you know, a solid it totally enjoyable it's, it's, it's definitely a different kind of movie but like you you know it's a kind of movie that I have nostalgia for so yeah. it kind of does you know, sit well. And for it may. it also I mean, it certainly is not. You know, it's not paced like the kind of movies that I think people are used to now. But oh yeah, I mean that certainly that that, that that doesn't matter. To us. Certainly <laughs> that
1: flashback is a little long winded. Yeah. you know, where they flashback. It's of, like a whole other movie. Yeah, Christopher <laughs> Lee's.
0: Um, this, I, his backstory, yeah, Cushion's telling the, like this backstory of of the, to the Lee character, and that's kind of like it's, it is long, yeah. But in a way, like I kind of appreciate that. I think the
1: whole it. movie, it's like it's great. I think it's a great retelling of the mummy, and um, I'm not a huge fan as a lot of people of the Brendan Fraser movies. I kind of yeah. I think this is my favorite. I love the Karloff original. I love all the universals, but I think this is great. Color mummy, I think it's awesome. And like I said, to me, he's like the precursor of like a Jason or a, a slasher. Sure, yeah. You know, he's going out. And there's nothing stopping him. You can't, you know. And he's, you know, he's kind of, it's scary, you know? And uh, for some reason, the mummies stayed with us in, in culture. With, Like I said, there's always, like, the amazing story, Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest. There's always, like, well, yeah. installments I mean, well, of the mummy somewhere. Well, there's you know? so, I
0: mean, I think even though it's been, like, excavated to crap, I mean, there's this mystery about Egyptian culture that I think will always yeah. kind of fascinate us. And this us. movie, I mean... I mean, I guess it's not a strong
1: plot point, but we did touch on it like it does make you question, are they in the right for they're basically looting graves? And I mean, no, you know, it's always like, you know, it's they belong in a museum, but <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what even Peter Cushing, I don't know if he's in the right when he he kind of provokes this guy in the guy's house to get the Egyptian map. He's like, no, who cares about your religion? And it's our job to break into these things. They rob the graves and put them in museums for people like us, you know, English white people to see. <laughs>
0: And it's yeah, like, well, yeah. I don't know if that's for the best idea there. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It does raise some morality questions, which yeah. is interesting. It's great, and then, uh, and I would recommend
1: any any of these hammers, especially the Abominable Snowman, if you can find it. This, uh, you know, and like I said, I was so surprised when I w- went back and watched them that I thought they were just going to be schlock, like 70s black exploitation. Like, you know, first couple are good, but then as they get going, they're just horrible sometimes, and you have to really be a fan of them to like them. Yeah, Where the Hammers were so surprisingly good. Some of them take place, like we were thinking, like Halloween two. I think I cite that. Like, when does a movie start, like aside from Bride of Frankenstein, right where the first one, and one of the Dracula starts, like, you know, the third one starts right when the second one's ending. Oh, that's cool. So it's a lot of great stuff like that. And... Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee and the other guys in it, they give it their all. There's a couple character actors in here. We didn't mention that are also in this troupe, aside yeah, from yeah. Yvonne. Um, what's her name? But there's a lot of people in here that just, and then Terrence Fisher really, you know, for what they had, I think they were able to accomplish a lot, which is really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah totally. You know, I you mean, it's, it's, you know, it's really, it's an achievement.
1: And I think it also and helped the horror. Oh, that's That's know, exactly yeah. where I was
0: going. Like it would, you know, it, it preserved that, idea of those, like, gothic horror monsters. I mean, like you said, they were maybe being reshown in the 50s on television, and then and occasionally being re as Universal movies, and then occasionally being, you know, put back out in theaters. But for the most part, you know, like, we might not have the, the nostalgia that you and I have for those monsters yeah. might not exist without the success of the of the Hammer movies, because the the, the Universal movies might have died out completely by the '80s. Yeah, you yeah. know, instead like there we, was we no grew up like, like, like 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 commercials yeah. with like Twix commercials, yeah, a Karloff style. You know, it 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 kept those properties alive in pop culture. Yeah. Even though we look back, like you said, like our Frankenstein that we think of is Karloff. Without the success of like Curse of Frankenstein, we might not have. Uh, that to look back at because they, they might have died off a lot sooner. It
1: might be an interesting uh, exercise to actually look at their lesser known horror movies to see if there are any precursors to like the slasher movies that you get, like say Psycho or you get um, uh, Peeping Tom. But I wonder oh, yeah. if well, Peeping Tom has, a, has
0: a, a, a very British feel to it. Yeah, that. yeah. So but it's I wonder very much more in that vein.
1: Peeper, Peeping Tom isn't Hammer, but I wonder if there's yeah. other Hammer like. B side movies that are like yeah, can almost kind of reminiscent plot, of that. That almost plot the way that you get into the sixties of you eventually the eventuality of getting the sixties, seventies slash or Last House on the Left, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sure. uh into like the Friday the thirteenth, you know. And I wonder if it's yeah, you know, like is it is it we th- have to thank uh Hammer for helping get us the Corman horror movies, which then help us propel, propel in the, even though they're very different, this horror from like yeah. the slasher movie I mean, it's horror. all
0: very interesting, like you know? intricately woven, like circle of life kind of. Yeah. Like without this, this doesn't exist. And then without that, this doesn't. Yeah. It, it, one begots the other. Yeah,
1: it's very much like uh, Clarence is telling George Bailey at the end of uh, <laughs> It's Wonderful Life, you know? It's like, you know, you couldn't have happened if you didn't <laughs> die. This wouldn't have happened. Boris <laughs> Karloff wouldn't have been there to save your PT <laughs> cruiser uh, on your PT9 <laughs> boat. George Bailey <laughs> uh, so you know it's, it's just exciting so uh, if anyone has ever slept on the Hammer movies you should go check them out because I myself have until my early 20s and it's just so wonderful yeah. if you are a fan of these movies like Frankenstein Dracula th- there's a whole other line of movies that are just as good that are just new installments that you've never seen that you're like holy shit this is great retelling yeah, yeah. so you know and I think they're much better than a lot of the recent incarnations. You know, like we yeah. did two weeks ago, we did the Rocketeer, which was Joe Johnston. Uh, J- yeah. And he did the latest Wolfman, which I thought was a little iffy. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He did that. So they're still getting, plotting along. And I hear there might be even like a 2017 Mummy coming out. I don't know if that's going to be They keep on good. talking
0: about Tom Cruise and a Mummy yeah,
1: movie. Yeah. You know, because they decidedly made a Mummy movie. They made it Adventure with yeah. the Brendan Frazier's, which was great, and they were hugely popular. You and I saw one or two in the cinema together. Yeah, yeah, And that's fun. They turned it more Indiana Jones, which I think is great, but it'd be cool to turn it the other way and have it be a little more back to the fright aspect. Sure, you know, yeah. That'd be cool. I agree. Even if you make it period, that'll be awesome. Yeah. You know, and maybe stay away f- so much from the CGI, because even if you look at those Brendan Frazier movies now, they're starting to now show their age, sadly. Yeah. With that CGI, totally. it doesn't age well. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. Uh, I was going to say two weeks from now, but no, next week we have another one. Next week we have another and Sidney
0: man. Yeah, we're a, more, we're a little more,
1: we're a little more recent in next weeks. We're going to, we're going to, we're not so much in the 50s. We're a couple decades ahead and we're gonna really in the Although I movie. will say
0: as a hint, there's a little bit of an homage to 50s. Yes, and it's such a good homage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, and it's a great,
1: it's it's great because like I said, from last weeks, we're 100 years uh, from 1995 and, and in the Mouth of Madness, we're, we're, in this movie now, 100 years before 1890s, we're in the 1950s when the movie was made. Now next week's there's an homage right to the 50s, and there's a good part of the plot is about the 50s, which is really cool. So so it's yeah. it's a, a little hint for you. Yeah. I mean, there's no hint at all, really, but it's, it could be anything.
0: <laughs>
1: but uh, It's a little bit of a yeah, hint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, <gasps> yeah. And I don't want to give anything else away because we can ruin it, but it's, it's, it's fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to so. be a fun one next week. Oh, yes, it is. So check us out on Facebook, on our Facebook page. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on our homepage. Like we always say, please check out our homepage because we always put a lot of extras in that are, you know, we, we like to say like further reading or whatever or, mm-hmm. or, or exclusives that are uh Saturday night movie sleepovers only that are yeah. out of the, the archives here. Or we
0: scour the internet for yeah. gems. For gems Easter that you may not, you?
1: you know, deleted scenes or whatever the heck or other things. Uh We also like to tell you to check our Facebook page out, too, because we have a lot of fun stuff going on there. We like to also encourage you to go back. If you like what you hear, go back to our earlier catalog, listen to some of our earlier stuff. We have a lot of favorites back there. If you're into
0: horror, do we have a Black Christmas one? Black Christmas. October. We we
1: propose in there, we make the declarative statement that Black Christmas is actually the first slasher movie. People say Halloween, but we like to say maybe not. Maybe it's uh, so Bob Some Clark's. people go
0: Bay of Blood by Mario Bava yeah, but I we like You make think. an
1: argument you know it's just by the same guy who did Christmas Story you get Black Christmas and it's freaking awesome we have uh, a whole bunch of early movies. Trial of the Incredible Hulk. We yeah, love. Yeah,
0: if you're riding the Marvel uh, kick, if you're riding the Marvel and the superheroes, trial of the Incredible Hulk. We have the original Flash television pilot from the '90s. Yeah, that's great Which too. was a little bit of a link to last week, which we didn't even really plug it. Which is the guys who wrote the Rocketeer yeah, were the did. ones that developed that
1: series. Yeah, and they're the reason that because of them they're the reason why that Mark Hamill ended up being. Several weeks ago. Yeah, it was about a month ago now. Or well, they, they, they're the that flat. If you didn't have that Flash TV series that they wrote, you wouldn't have got Mark Hamill playing the Joker in Batman. Again, and it's series. another. It's
0: one thing leads to the next.
1: Yeah, just because of that. So uh, check out our earlier stuff because there's a lot of gems in there if you look through stuff. And um, Blake, you Mind have a book. Warp. Out. Mind warp. <laughs> Mind warp. Bruce Campbell, uh, Angus Scrimm, classic.
0: But uh, uh, check out my book, Scored to Death: uh, Conversations with someone of Horror's Twitter and Facebook books available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Yeah, It's going to be awesome.
1: Uh, It's going to be, it is awesome. And uh, that's available. You can go get it. Some fun stuff. We talk about that last week, a lot with the John Carpenter uh, in the mouth of madness thing. Uh, We're going to be here next week. So we're already almost halfway done now in our, our, our Halloween of horror. And it's a very busy month for us. And uh, see you one week from today. It's going to be very exciting. So we, we're going to be here with bells on. So, um, just just uh stay scared <laughs> later <laughs>